Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm going to chill and let them have it because this is just an intro. Keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style with your hosts, Jeremy Donovan and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we're reviewing Summer Struggle in Sapporo, answering listener questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostantees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.com. US today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Oh, I am nothing but thrilled to be back here on Days Podcast, keeping a strong style. Yeah, man. M- missed you last week, man. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, missed doing the show. Missed uh, getting the opportunity to express my opinions and let the thousands and thousands of you out there listening to this <laughs> um, hear our bad takes. And uh, I got to say, I listened to the show this week. And yeah, Jeremy did a great job. But yeah, man, uh, doing the show solo last week, it's definitely, it, it was interesting, man. Uh, definitely wanted to just, you know, give it a shot while, while the opportunity was there. But yeah, man, I didn't expect to go, uh, you know, two and a half on myself. <laughs> well, I do apologize, uh, you know, for not being here to, you know, be on the show for all you guys. But uh, I got to say, you know, Jeremy doing it on his own. I know last week he said something that he wouldn't necessarily want to do, you know, week in and week out. But, I mean, I, I thought that show was good enough to where I could actually say I would listen to that show. You know, like, let's say hypothetically, like, I, I unexpectedly died, <laughs> right? And, you know, you elect not to, to have another, you know, replacement uh, co-host, then, you know, the ghost of me would like to listen to that show. I thought it was pretty good. Um and you know it's one of those things where like if you if you suck I bury you I just come on <laughs> come on the air and be like well I guess we're never doing that again yeah I guess that sucked <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so um, but glad to be back here and uh, you know seems like we got a lot to talk about this week yeah and uh, we did have a question here from Reddit with the Picky Blinders so, did you miss the Young Boy much last week or do you think you'll be splitting into keeping it strong style Hollywood and Wolfpack. <laughs> well, I mean, they split, but they ended up uh, reuniting. Right. So I, I don't think. Well, yeah, we're not. We're not splitting the pod. We're not doing you know black and white, red and black for the pod. That, that didn't really draw well in the end. Well, I mean, you could do your episodes, and I could do my episodes, and you know, could do it that way. And then do a big uh, comeback episode. Yeah, like once a month or something. So we're going to do a brand, a brand split. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I, but you'll like guess us on my pod and I'll guess us on yours. <laughs> it'll, it'll be the, the, the once a month rule where the, the other guy can come on the other guy's show, even though the, the brands have been split. Yeah, but we won't follow it. We'll say it's a rule and then we'll, we won't do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, we got a lot to uh, of New Japan here to talk about this week. Uh, first thing, uh, some good news here from uh, Kadani, Hadabushi Road. He announced that uh, all company employees and wrestlers got their first vaccine on seven eight, which led to uh, Kota Ibushi uh, getting some uh, reactions to his first shot, making him miss July tenth and eleventh Sapporo shows. Yeah, man, if he's having uh, adverse reactions on the first shot, just wait. That second shot, it sucks. Not for everybody, but, man, it fucking wiped me out. So, you know. But I think the deal is, based on commentary, they pretty much just said, like, he's just having, you know, elevated fever, nothing major. But they have the policy in place. If you have a fever, you can't compete. So that's kind of what the deal's been so far for Kurt so yeah, so yeah, Kabushi, yeah, not not getting the best reactions there from that that first shot. Uh, so yeah, hopefully he has a uh, not too bad reaction from the second shot, and uh, will be able to you know be on on deck for all the cards that are coming up in the next few weeks here. Yep, we shall see. 
I mean, they kind of they're kind of counting on him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so uh, now let's uh, look at Summer Struggle in support. Like we mentioned, Abushi off the card. A couple of the matches got shifted around with Abushi being off. So we'll start with July 10th show. And the, the opening match was one of those matches that was affected by Abushi's absence. Uh, he's supposed to be in a tag match with Master Wato, and that got changed to a singles match here. Master Wato defeating. Yuya Mora, nine minutes and nine seconds. Yeah, this was interesting um, in the sense that, you know, Wato has had his share of trouble since he's returned from Excursion, well documented on this show. But, um, you know, this was putting him in a situation where he's facing off with Yuya Mora. We saw these two wrestle uh, as recently as November during the late end of the year best of super juniors but um this was kind of interesting because watto's kind of even progressed a bit more beyond that point as far as his you know being reintroduced to the company and kind of agreeing to hantai so but at the same time he's a junior and then you've got yui mora coming you know hot off of his you know five match six match you know um trial series and he's looking just ripped and jacked and they talked about commentary how they're like yeah i mean he's feeling at some point where like you'd be you'd have a hard time making an argument that he's still a junior so you know um that's only seven eight months out from you know the the last meeting between these two and all throughout the match with Watto kind of being like a lower tier junior and not having the, the greatest standards of success this year i almost was able to buy that yui mora could actually beat him Right. And um, I don't know. It's just two guys that are kind of on a crossfire trajectory, it almost feels like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Kevin Kelly made the, the good point on commentary. He's like, yeah, if, if there's any match that Yamora could win, like, it could be this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, this match, I mean, it was pretty 50 50. I mean, Yamora got a lot of offense, and uh, Watson definitely got his chance to shine as well. Uh, doing some of his signature stuff, the you know the spinning back fists, uh, some of his arm drags, and that uh, that backslide uh, driver that he does, and he won the match here with the RPP, his version of the spiral tap to uh, put Uemura away. Yeah, and it almost seemed like he could have gotten the win with one of those uh, signatures that you mentioned, and then he should have said no. He said he wanted to win it emphatically. I'm going to go hit him with the spiral tap. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, for the bigger stars, that's not how they do it. You know, they usually hit him with a signature and are like, I don't even need my, you know, XYZ finisher to put this guy away. He's, he's just in line. And Watto's like, no, nope, I better make sure. I just, I, I don't want to fuck it up. I'm going <laughs> to bust out my biggest move. <laughs> right, I mean, we said also, yeah, Shingo, this whole tour has been pinning a lot of people just to pumping Bomber. You know, sometimes we'll see, you know, Tanahashi bust out like the clover leaf or like he'll beat like the young lion with a sling blade or something like that. So, yeah, Watto's I like, think I think a lot of times for the young lions, his main go to is like the dragon suplex. For, yeah, uh, Tanahashi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Watto here, yeah, like I said, he's like, make sure that he definitely got the W, hits CRPP, <laughs> and gets the win here. So then we move on to second match on the card. Uh, Bullet Club team of Dick Togo and Evil taking on the Chaos D 
duo of Tomohiro Ishii and Yo. And this is uh, building up the, the evil and Ishii program after the, the Never Six Man defense against the third generation dads. Evil came out, attacked Ishii, and this is uh, building up the rivalry here. And obviously Ishii was not very happy about that beatdown and has been targeting evil. Yeah, they're doing a great job um, on commentary again, um, sort of explaining the significance between these two and how their careers seem to almost be sort of interlinked ever since um, Evil returned from Excursion. And, you know, of all the singles encounters they've ever had, Ishii has always had Evil's number. He's 4-0 against the guy. So um, kind of putting the pressure on Evil in a situation like this where you know, he was double champion last year. It only lasted a few months. And he's had, you know, uh, a big lack of success in major, you know, matches and spots since then. And, you know, I guess trying to get back on, on the right path, if you're in Bullet Club and, and you're lost, you got to beat Ishii. It worked for <laughs> Jay White earlier this year. And I guess they're going to try the same thing with Evil. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll see if that works out for him. Uh, he did get the win here using his Darkness Scorpion to submit Yo. Then a uh, post-match, uh, Ishii tried to get some more of Evil, but he uh, fleed to the back there. So then in the next matchup, we had another Bullet Club team, ELP, Yujiro Takahashi, and the returning Kenta. They lost to Tanahashi Taguchi in a returning Rocky Romero to Japan. Yeah, very good uh, to kind of get the band back together, you know, the mega coaches, and just to kind of see all their antics, you know, all throughout the match. Pretty interesting, pretty entertaining stuff, especially Tanahashi. You know, I, I, I like Goofy Tanahashi, so. Yeah, it's it's always funny. Yeah, dude, they had this man like blown up when they were like doing the double yes. coach spot. I feel like he yes. like, legit got blown up because like he went out to like the apron <laughs> and like was just like down like the ref like even checked on him. <laughs> yeah, bro, Tanahashi's not doing cardio these days. Like his cardio is his wrestling matches. Like this man is s- straight up just doing like you know lifting weights and and resistance training anything to like keep up the the resemblance of his muscles like he doesn't have time to like go develop a gas tank <laughs> right and yeah so and yeah. unfortunately it wasn't like a 10-man tag where you can have like you know three or four guys running it was just the three well, of them no that's what was funny about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just but Tanahashi did get the win here for the team he hits the high fly flow that's right he's, he's Damaging his knees in this multi-man match here. It's the high, <laughs> <laughs> it's the high fly flow on Yujiro for the win. It was a big show, okay? It was Summer Struggle in Sapporo. All right, Jeremy? <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm let just, my man's fly. He wants to fly. Let him fly, you know? You know I'm just not trying to get our... Uh, what, what's the, what was his uh, gimmick in that movie? The cockroach guy? The cockroach, yeah. Yeah, not, not trying to you know relive that. <laughs> Uh, That's like the ending of The Wrestler. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to Mickey Rourke's character. I'm like, is he going to die when he lands? <laughs> yeah, one of these days, Tom House is going to hit the high fly flow. It's just not going to get back up. It's going to be very Yo, sad. don't say shit like that. That's not cool. You don't know that? <laughs> this, man's, this man's straight. Like, come on. Oh, man. But uh, moving on to next matchup on the card, we had the United Empire, Great O'Connor returning Jeff Cobb. They defeated the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada 
and Cho and uh, Cobb, a lot of jawjacking here, calling Okada a young boy um, and building up some heat there. Yeah, the the young boy thing was kind of weird. I guess, well, at the end of the match, um, Cobb beat Cho. Yeah. And, you know, Okada was showing concern, and he was like, I think what he was implying was like how the young lions will, you know, come up and put the ice pack and take care of them. Like, you know, the fact that Okada was sort of like, you know, deferring himself and, you know, showing concern for a show. I think that's what he was kind of talking about. Yeah, he was telling Okada, you know, go get the ice bag and yeah, and you know, do your do your young boy duties and take care of show. But um this this match was interesting in a certain sense because um with Okada, they're clearly building up a, a program between Okada and Ka, but show wasn't you know, I would say, I would just call him like a sidekick here. It seemed to be that there was a little bit of a narrative for him as well, you know, trying to get the suplex on Jeff Cobb at all costs, which ultimately was his undoing in the match. And I also really enjoyed the strike exchanges and almost sort of like quasi-shoot um, sequences between um, Show and Great O'Connor in this match as well. Yeah, it's almost Show as, you know, Doing some uh, UWF, you know, some some glate style wrestling. Uh, glate. No, it, it, it's glate. <laughs> it's glate, and it actually it's R, so it's greet. Well, it's supposed to be, I guess, a play off of great and how great it's said in Japan. But on commentary, they said the commentary team was saying glate. Yeah, but I'm telling you, it's glate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what they say. It's Gleet. No, I'm just playing. Uh, so we had a question here from Reddit user underscore stress underscore. How ready are y'all for a potential Cobb Great Ocon tag title run? Oh, I, I'm so ready for it because all throughout the, uh, the matches that they had these uh, past couple days, they've really been kind of hinting at the idea of, you know, these tag matches really playing a part in determining the next contenders, you know, once the uh, tag title match on day two was kind of settled. And yeah, it feels like based on the level of success they've had and the trajectory of where they're at in the company, that United, uh, the United Empire is probably next up to bat uh, for a tag title challenge. And with the way those things have been hot potatoing around, I mean, who's to say that they don't win them pretty soon, you know? Right, yeah, and I would be pretty excited for them to get a, a tag title shot. I mean, we've seen these guys team up in the World Tag League. They got kind of thrown together there when the Empire started, and they gelled together really well, and obviously since the United Empire has been going, they've formed great chemistry, and we talked about it. The United Empire, they, they kind of like the LIJ, and in fact, we know no matter which two you put together, even in a multi-man, an eight-man no matter what combo it is, United Empire just gels really well together, has great chemistry, puts on some really good matches. So Cobb and O'Connor, they looked really good in this tag match, and they've been looking good on this tour. And, you know, one thing we complain about with the tag division, there's not a lot of fresh challengers, not a lot of new matchups. Well, Cobb and O'Connor would be a fresh team to go in there with a dangerous techers, with a G.O.D. or, you know, whatever, you know, mega combined tag team there is out there. Yeah, and the nice thing with that, too, is like, you know, like you said, sure, we might complain a little bit about the lack of uh, competitors, but all it takes is a month or two of heating up a couple teams. And, you know, with the talent pool they have in New Japan, they, they can have 
you know, plenty of, uh, of established teams ready right away. And that's kind of what they've done here, you know, with LIJ and with United Empire. And all of a sudden, you know, a division that was super stale and boring for the greater part of, like, what, the last year or two? Yeah. All of a sudden, like, is suddenly exciting again, you know? Yeah. Then we move on to the semi-main on the show. We have the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito defeat the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, yeah, this, uh, again, it's a, you know, was a preview for the title match uh, that was going to main, main event the very next night. Um, I thought this was pretty good. You know, all around, um, like you mentioned early earlier, Lij, they're just so you know cohesive, and you know putting them in there with you know a team like Doki, you know Taichi, Kenemaru, and ZSJ. I mean, those four guys have sort of been gelling all throughout the pandemic era as well. So I mean, this had a recipe for fun and exciting, and you know I didn't, I don't think they ever stayed there welcome, but uh, you know, really good little semi main event to kind of preview for what was to come the next night. Yeah. So then we uh, move on to the main event of the evening. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line. The champion, El Desperado, defended against the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, defeated him 28 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, thoughts on this matchup here? Yeah, uh, this one was interesting. Um, you had the heel uh, dynamic where both guys were you know, black hats and rule breakers. And we've kind of seen that play out during tag leagues and, you know, things of that nature between uh, Bull Club and Suzuki Goon. But uh, we kind of saw that play out here. These two guys have only had one career meeting prior to this. And it was in that earlier Super Juniors from the end of the year last year that I mentioned um, at the beginning of the show. And this was sort of like, um, you know, at this point, Desperado is the champion. Ishimori has not beaten him up to this point. And both guys kind of came in there with game plans, you know, uh, Desperado knowing that, you know, his uh, finisher or his, uh, you know, submission finisher relies on legs. He focused on attacking the guy's legs. And then Ishimori sort of focused on the shoulder, um, you know, to kind of set up the yes lock. Very reminiscent of what he did a year prior during the Summer Struggle Tour to Hiromu Takahashi. So both guys kind of came in there with game plans. And we saw that play out all throughout the match. Yeah, and Ishimori also too. He has the. He's also using the bone lock as well. The yes lock bone lock that uh, that Gargano escape uh, border city stretch jurisdiction. Um, so yeah. yeah, and it's cool how he kind of transitions between the two moves as well. Right, and either or, like yeah, he gets in one position and he can kind of you know transition into the other one. And you know, speaking of transitions, there was a, a lot of really good counters and transitions into this match. Um, in and out of like the pinche loco and, and the the bloody cross, uh, you know, towards the end, the ending stretch, there's a lot of great uh, reversals there in that closing sequence. Ishimori reversing the pinche loco into a hurricane rana. Ishimori, uh, you know, going for the bloody cross. Uh, Desperate reversing the bloody cross into a backslide. Ishimori reversing the pinche loco into a bone lock. Uh, Despia once again counting the bloody cross, and there's just so many great, great back and forth counters between these guys. Uh, that, now, this is something that brings up an interesting point. Um, I agree with you. I thought that they had some fantastic sequences and, you know, the, the transitions were really exciting. But the one thing that stuck out to me during all of that was how um, 
almost non-receptive. I guess non-receptive isn't the right word, but the crowd did, just didn't seem very bought in or enthused during those sequences. And I know it's difficult to kind of gauge how over something is, especially in this pandemic era, especially like uh, the continued clap crowds in, in New Japan. But I feel like at least to this point, it might not be easy to tell what's what's uh, you know getting heat necessarily, but we can at least get some gauge of how excited the crowd is for particular things um, based on the physical response, even if it's not using their voice. Um, for instance, the most of the sequences on the following night in the main event in the same city, uh, so probably a similar crowd, they were just like boisterous, going crazy. But for this match. They're coming down to the tail end stretch and doing awesome, awesome transitions for all these finishers and submissions. And the crowd just seemed dead. And it wasn't like they were a dead crowd all night. I, I kind of got the feeling that they were maybe not bought in on this feud or maybe a lot of that goodwill that um, Desperado had going earlier in the year when he won, you know, double gold in a couple days. Like maybe that's kind of dissipated. I, I, I don't know. Did you catch any of that yourself? Yeah, I noticed that, yeah, the, the crowd wasn't as, it didn't seem as into this match. I mean, with, with Night 2, Night 2 did have the benefit of having about a 1,000 more fans uh, the second night. But still, yeah, crowd didn't really seem into this. And it could be a thing, you know, you, you have heel versus heel here. Like you mentioned, uh, Despy, you know, I feel like they kind of failed to capitalize on some of that momentum that he had at the beginning of the year. You know, he had the match with Hiromu, and then he uh, had the match with Ibushi. And I feel like after that Ibushi match, he just kind of, like, fell off the map, and they really didn't do it. He didn't. It's show's fault. Mm. Remember, like, they, they had him set up for a hot feud right after that, and then show, you know, and him got COVID or whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, yo. Uh, oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. yo. Uh, so yeah, but even before even before the Yo feud, I feel like there was still like he wasn't really doing anything until Yo came back. Um, you so mean, uh, Desperado. Yeah, I feel like yeah they weren't really doing much of Desperado. Yeah, I guess you could, uh, I guess that might be true. I don't know. It felt it felt like the Yo match was supposed to happen in short succession from when he won the title. You know that did that to me. That doesn't seem like it was that long after he wrestled Ibushi for the title. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. But yeah, it just felt like yeah, just they just failed to capitalize on momentum. Also, another thing that might have affected the crowd was the interference. Uh, yeah, mid match you had uh, ELP coming out, pulling the ref out, um, hits a sudden death to the the midsection of Despy, but then Kanemaru comes and makes the save and uh, gets ELP out of there. And it's just one of those things where, like, you know, interference and stuff like that could work when it's done sparingly. But unfortunately, we've, we've seen in New Japan that it's it's done a lot, especially when you have um, a Bullet Club uh, team or guy in a matchup. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to complain about that too much. Uh, I think it obviously it's problematic. and We've talked about it ad nauseum. Um, my whole thing is just in a vacuum, it seemed fine, but... I don't know. I mean, I guess we have, it's kind of something we have to kind of consider is like this going to be the standard norm for this company going forward. Uh, especially with bull clubs involved, like you mentioned, because it's like the amount of ref bumps and the amount of interferences, like it's, it feels like it's um, so much more than it, you know, this past year or two than it's been, you know, prior to this and I, I know it's always been there but man 
Um, so that definitely could have been something that took a little bit of the wind out of the sails for people. I, I felt like I liked this match quite a bit. I thought it told a good story, but I, I don't know. I'm not as high as I feel like a lot of other individuals were. I'm probably somewhere between three and a half and three and three quarters. May, I might lean a little bit t- towards three and three quarters, I suppose. Yes, I went three and three quarters on it as well. Um, yeah, very good matchup. And, you know, something else that I just thought about that we've talked about on the show, too, is just, you know, the almost like the changing of the junior style. Again, yeah. this, was a, this was a match. Ishimori does do some high flying, but not a lot. And Desmond doesn't really do a lot of high flying either. But it wasn't that high pace, you know, off, you know, high intensity, crazy flips, crazy dives um, kind of match. They have crazy sequences towards the end, but, you know, it wasn't a Osprey Ricochet. It wasn't a... Dragon Lee Hiromu, you know, it wasn't one of those kind of epic junior main events that we've gotten in the last several years. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I really, really enjoy the work of both Desperado and Ishimori. Um, but yeah, I've definitely noticed that it's a, right now at the top of the scene, they're working a, a very different style than, you know, that, that you just mentioned. Um, and I you know, we'll see what happens. It seems like, uh, you know, we've got other challengers and other individuals coming back and coming into the um, division very shortly. That might, you know, change the way that some of these matches are kind of laid out worked. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, the finish of this matchup here, uh, like I mentioned, that, that they had that that reversal sequence there where they're reversing all the big moves. Uh, Despy, in the beginning of the match, Ishimori had exposed the, the corner pads, and so Despy pushed him into the exposed corner, hits the, the closed fist right hand, hits two pinche locos, and uh, pins them Undertaker style to get the win. Yeah, and then uh, post-match, as we're getting ready to go into a post-match promo by Desperado, uh, the lights go out, the Titan Tron or you know, <laughs> projector screen comes on, and we get a message from Robbie Eagles talking about how, you know, he's been watching and seeing how everyone's jumping all over the champion to be the next in line. And he figured it was his turn. So, you know, he made his formal challenge for the IWGP junior heavyweight title. Seems like he's been staying very active um, in uh, Australia, in that area, um, you know, during this lockdown period where he hasn't been able to return to Japan. But his return is, is imminent. And it looks like he's next in line to challenge for the title. Yep, he's going to be on these uh, next set of tours, and we'll go over those after we uh, review the show from the 11th. So, yeah, glad Robbie Eagles uh, coming back on the tour, like you mentioned. Looks like he's been doing some great work uh, while he's been away from Japan. He posted like a highlight video, I think that was today, um, just showing some of the work that he's been doing since he's been gone. So pretty excited about that, and, you know, We've been seeing Hiromu up and down these shows, kind of doing uh, various jobs, and he was kind of hyping up the shows on this night and the next, following night. And so, before Eagles uh, came out, like made his videos, I was thinking maybe Hiromu might be ready and they could they could go to Hiromu Despy for the dome, but not the case here. So then we move on to July 11th for the second night of Summer Struggle in Sapporo. Uh, show opened up with the Sukun team of Despi and Kanamaru, and they defeat the team of Sho and Yuyamura, uh, 12 minutes and 3 seconds. Did you do Peaky Blinders question? Oh, nope, I uh, totally skipped that. 
uh, yeah, Peaky Blinder did ask about the main event. Uh, he said Ishimori's counter from the Pinchy local into the Yes Lock. Pretty damn incredible, right? Yeah, uh, definitely a highlight of the match. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder how these guys come up with this stuff. Very creative. Yeah, like I mentioned, yeah, there was just a lot of great, yeah, because counter and transitions, you know, um, Ishimori like doing, attempting like Mystica and Despy countering some of that stuff. Well, they, they, they did a great job on commentary just kind of explaining the backgrounds of these two guys and how they're two of the, the domestic guys that really bring that, you know, Lucha slash Lucha Rezu style to New Japan. And, you know, even kind of talked about how, like, Taiji Ishimori come, came up through the Dragon Gate Toriumon route into Noah and all of that. And kind of you're you know, definition of Lucha Rezu being trained by Ultimo Dragon. And then kind of contrasting that with El Desperado spending his time in CMLL uh, when he was on excursion, the the very traditional Lucha Libre route, you know, wrestling on the dirt mats and everything like that. So, um, and that, that really played itself out here, uh, not just in, you know, the type of, you know, big, you know, main event style wrestling that they do in Mexico. That was kind of on display here, but also, you know, the transitions are very, that you mentioned are very Yave-esque. Right. Yeah. And, uh, something else too, I want to point out before we move on, um, Ishimori pulling a page out of Robbie Eagle's book, uh, doing a 450 on the arm of, uh, yeah. Desperado to work on the arm, to do set up the bone lock and the yes lock. So I thought that was interesting. Kevin Kelly did point that out that, yeah, Ishimori kind of stealing some offers from his former uh, tag team partner. Yeah. Okay, so now with that, now we can uh, move on to uh, night two. And like I said, we had Despi and Kanemaru defeating show. And you, Yamura opening the show. Uh, not really much there. Uh, maybe we're setting up Tsugun-Rapungi uh, 3K match again, but I don't see what's the next direction here for any of these guys. Well, obviously Despi has a title match coming up, but this is just kind of a open a match here yeah um fun opening match very good stuff here you know yuya mora different level right now yeah uh following matchup we had rocky romero ishii and risuke Taguchi defeating the bullet club team of elp evil and taiji ishimori and like i predicted last week rocky did get the pin here on ELP to set up for a junior tag team title match. Yeah, it's very interesting because it almost felt like over in America, they were sort of telling a prolonged story of uh, Rocky sort of being, you know, him trying as a veteran to rededicate himself to the sport, but he keeps coming up short, you know, time after time after time. And, um, they kind of alluded to that on the commentary here, but they almost like kind of retconned it. They're like, yeah, he's back in Japan and, you know, he's, he's rededicated himself and he, he suffered some great, you know, a, a couple, you know, losses, but he's back on track. And I'm like, but that was, that happened Friday. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just lost a big match Friday. And then suddenly like Saturday and Sunday come and, you know, he's in tag team action and, you know, he's picking up, you know, big wins here. So I don't know. It, it's, I thought the match was fun. Uh, you know, I'm a big mark for the Rocky Romero, El Fantasmo stuff. And to see him constantly, you know, get the one one up on uh, ELP, that's always a positive <laughs> in my book, you know? Yeah, their match from uh, the 2019 Best of Super Juniors was um, 
just awesome. One of the best matches of the tournament that year, and it's great seeing them mixing up up again here. And yeah, Mega Coach is back together getting a shot here. They did not have a easy Are time. Are you sure that was 2019? I feel like that might have even been 2018. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, th- I don't know. I'm, I think I'm pretty sure it was 2019. Doesn't okay. matter. But but either way, everybody knows what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, the coaches here they, they did not have an easy time coaching Ishii in this match like they did with Tanahashi. Ishii just wanted he, to get his hands on yeah, Evil. Ishii doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> He's like, y'all do your thing. I'm I'm going after evil. <laughs> Here's one thing I really appreciate about both of these nights is like, while I wouldn't call either of them like blow away nights or anything like that, um, we just you know even with these undercard matches, they made it worth your while because they had you know narratives that were playing out and that were you know pushing forward the stories for the next few shows and you know next few tours that are coming up and that's something that we've kind of complained about that was sort of missing and you see a great example of it here with you know the mega coaches putting themselves in alignment to be challengers for the bullet club's junior titles and then you know the continuation of evil and tomohiro ishii and we're about to see all of that play out here very shortly so i you know kind of appreciate this plus you know we got a fun upset win uh which was great, and you know, post match, Rocky and Taguchi pretty much declared themselves uh, title challengers, and they also said that they're going to expose what is in the boot of El Fantasmo for sudden impact. Yeah, so I'm sure that's going to be obviously a big story in their match going forward. Probably, maybe a lot of them trying to get the boot off. Maybe I can see Taguchi getting the ankle lock on and trying to pull the boot off to expose the uh, the sudden death, um, the loaded boot. Well, it's going to be embarrassing for everybody when we find out that El Fantasmo never had a loaded boot. He literally did become a master of kicking <laughs> out in the great tundra of you know Canada, kicking trees and shit. Yes, it's going to be the egg on the face of the mega coaches. I'm going to um, write a manga about a man that's a professional wrestler and he turns his whole career around by going and kicking trees. <laughs> like he's a terrible wrestler, but if he hits you with that sudden death. It's it's over for you, you know. <laughs> hey, it could it could work. That's pretty much what ELP is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the next matchup here, we had the Bull Club team of Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the team of Roshi Tanahashi and Yota Suji, and we see the continuation of the build here between. Uh, Kenta and Tanahashi and I think we forgot to mention from the previous night uh, after Tanahashi team won Kenta came back out and attacked Tanahashi um, before he went back to the back and so um, yeah he beat the brakes off that man he was throwing you know throwing hands on him yeah and then uh, this night he gets him and Yujiro get the win and there was also a lot of jaw jacking between uh, Kenta and Tanahashi here this was a match uh, that was very interesting where there was a, a short sequence where Suji hit like all of his uh, signatures and then he hit the Mount Fuji or Suji or whatever it's called and he hit it on Yujiro uh, and I was like, oh my god, he might have won. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he was getting a lot of offense on Yujiro uh, and there was like some really great near falls toward the end and I'm like, I think gonna let this man beat Yujiro, but... Yeah, we're such marks. Like we know better than to know that they that they would ever do that. But like, I still kind of bit a little bit. So, 
Yeah, especially that, that inside cradle towards the end there. But uh, yeah. Ichiro was able and to... Th- th- this match was interesting, too, just in the sense that, like, it didn't really have any right to uh, be as good as it was. But, you know, I thought it was pretty good for, you know, a little 10-minute preview match. And you can definitely tell that, like, for instance, Ujiro is maybe trying to make a little, you know, last-minute run to get himself in the G1 is what it feels like. Yeah, and that was another, like, narrative that they were, uh, you know, talking about on commentary. You know, now is the time for people to kind of, you know, get their get their last good impressions in for the G1. It's right around the corner. Dates are be out. We'll talk about that in the news. But, you know, it's about that time until people are trying to put their best foot forward so that the, you know, the IWGP committee could select them for G1. Well, you know how you get selected for something like that? You put your best foot forward every day. Not just, you know, a couple weeks out before you're mm. about to be in the G1. Mm. You know, you put your best foot forward and you end up being the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion like Shingo Takagi. You know what I'm saying? Right. But you drove not about that life, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he hit the, next... the pimp juice, got the win there for the Bullet Club team. Oh, yeah, he won. So, yeah. <laughs> and it was, I also thought about that, too. I was watching this uh, a little bit behind and. I knew that the G1, you know, um, announcements were kind of coming out. And I was like, yeah, I don't think when they were, you know, I wonder if when they, when he was saying all that, that it was sort of like a little bit of a, uh, an Easter egg to let people know, like, hey, we're about to make these announcements. Yeah. So now moving on to the next match, we have the great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeating the Chaos team of Okada and Yo. So once again, uh, Cobb gets the win here. It's a tour of the islands on Yo. And once again, just can kind of continued the jaw jacking to Okada at the end. Once again, calling him a young boy and uh, pretty much saying that Okada is not on his level. Yeah, uh, I noticed that the, you know, chaos team seemed to have much less of an edge when it was Yo and Okada versus Sho and Okada. <laughs> Well, you know, show show's boring heavyweight. Yo, yo's a straight <laughs> straight up junior. Yeah, that was apparent in the way they worked this match. <laughs> this man got eaten alive. There was a really cool moment where Okada tried to go for the uh, drop kick, and um, Jeff Cobb caught him for I forget what the, the spin name cycle. Yeah, spin cycle. That was really cool. Um, Okada and Jeff Cobb—they're so great together. You know, earlier this year when the title was vacant. Um, and then they on uh, during Dominion they did the match with uh, where we thought Okada was going to win against Shingo and he didn't. And then at the time I was kind of talking about like what if Jeff Cobb beats Ibushi, you know that might be a really cool feud or a cool match to get here in the near future. It would be like Okada and this version of Jeff Cobb. And clearly things didn't work out that way back then, but it seems like you know now that we're sort of getting it. Um, you know, I think my expectations are going to be more than, you know, met based on the interactions with these guys and these uh, multi-mans. Yeah, should be a great matchup. You know, Cobb obviously doing a really great work in this you know, new heel role as part of the Empire. Then obviously Okada is Okada. So should be some good stuff there. So we move on to the semi-main event of the evening. Uh, once again, we had a, a change up here in the card due to Ibushi uh, having to miss the show. So... Master Watto, his uh, tag team partner here, got thrown into the lion's den. I should actually say the dragon's den, as he had to face off against the IWGP world champion, the dragon, Shingo Takagi. Yeah, I was thinking, like, you know, what the fuck did Watto do to, <laughs> like, to, who did he piss off? Because, 
they decided on one night to take him to the the you know the the one extreme. We're gonna give you the easiest win you could possibly get, and then the next night, they're like, you know what, you're gonna fight the world champion. <laughs> They're like, you know what, you did, you did great the first night. Well, let's give you a little, a little tougher competition this time. You know, we're just gonna kick it up a, a notch, okay? <laughs> just one, ha- half a notch. It, it's fine. You know, you're gonna fight a trainee the first night, and then you're gonna fight the fucking toughest dude <laughs> in the entire company the second night. You're gonna fight the wrestler of the year <laughs> the second night. <laughs> Someone that's probably a top fifteen all time great. Versus someone that just broke into the business like a year ago. And Here you go. Still trying to find his footing. Yeah. Actually, I wonder how long those uh, lines have been around. I think it's been at least two to maybe even like two and a half years, it feels like. Uh, Imora and CG? Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely been, I think, at least over two years. Man, jeez. But yeah, uh, it was just funny. Now, here's the funny, the other funny thing is, like, they decided to give Watto so much offense in this match, and I was like, oh my god, it went like 14 minutes, and I was like, Watto should never get this much offense in against Shingo fucking Takagi, like, come on, dude. Yeah, Shingo, uh, very giving here, did give uh, some offense here to Watto, but I mean, there was points to the match where, like, Watto would try and strike Shingo, and Shingo kind of no-sold and took it off, and would just, like, kill him with a big lariat and take him down, uh, but... He did get to hit like the tornillo and some of his like other signature moves, the, the backslide driver. Yeah, I heard I heard a funny story this week about um, Terry Funk and uh, freaking Bruiser Brody, and you know, like a couple years ago when internet boards first came about, people were watching like the Bruiser Brody like tapes when you know when YouTube and all that came around. Yeah, and like newer fans were complaining about his no selling. Like he was like some sort of like prick, which there are stories, but like, uh, Dave Meltzer was talking about this and he was like, yeah, he's like, I'm in, inter- I'm interviewing Terry Funk and Terry Funk's like, what the hell do they know? I, who do you think called that match? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I told him to no sell my shit so he could get over. <laughs> oh man. Like he, like, if someone no-sells, you think, like, it's just, like, you know, them, like, you know, not following the script. Like, clearly, like, it doesn't work that way, you know? Right, yeah. Not like, yeah, Shingo isn't really trying to bury Watto here. Um, yes, it's making Shingo look strong. But, you know, Watto, like you mentioned, had some good offense. He did hit the uh, the Tenzon tomb, Tombstone Driver uh, at one point in the match. And he tried to go for the RPP again, that spiral tap. But Shingo said, I'll, if, I'll if, move. If he won, he would be the lineal... IWGP World Heavyweight Champion at that point. Right, and I think you would have to insert him into the Ibushi match. Yeah, I absolutely. In fact, Ibushi would have to be, you know, downgraded. He'd have to move to, like, a multi-man with Hantai at that point, I think. And, mm. you know, you can't have a lineal champion just floating out there, but, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but... That was not the case. Shing- Shingo moved, uh, hit him with a sliding lariat, and hit him with the pumping bomber. Last of the dragon. One, two, three. Shingo defeats Master Watto. Thank God. <laughs> uh, then we move on to the main event of the evening, where we had the IWGP Tag Team Titles on the line. Los Ingobernables, Dejapon, Sonata, and Naito defeat 
Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. 36 minutes, 57 seconds. What do you think about this uh, big main event here? Yeah, so this was one where um, I kind of knew I got spoiled going into the match, right? And um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, obviously, I wasn't on the show last week, but I was already predicting LIJ to pick up the win here, which, um, you know, it, uh, is awesome. But at the same time, like, I, I'll also admit I was wrong last week or the week prior because I kind of thought that uh, Chaos were going to drop those six men, never tag team title. So, you know, batting about 500 here. But, uh, this one was interesting because Dangerous Techers have, you know, just regained those titles. I think a lot of people were sort of thinking that, you know, it was too soon for them to maybe turn around and drop the belts to a Sonata or a Naito. And when I looked at the um, results and I saw that this went almost 37 minutes, I, I almost sort of bemoaned the match like I wasn't going to like it. And then actually watching it and kind of knowing the history between all these guys – I got to tell you, I thought it was one of the better tag matches of the entire year. I'm about four stars on it. And uh, I, I wouldn't fight you if you went like four and a quarter, honestly. Yeah, I, I went four and a quarter on it. I thought it was a, a great main event for the show. These four guys have great chemistry, especially when you, you, you focus in on Zach and Knight or Zach and Sonata and Naito and Taichi. Uh, their single matches in the past have always uh, been great. And so mixing these four guys together worked off very well here. Uh, telling a story of, of Naito kind of dodging Zach um, in, in the past, like in the buildups, like Naito kind of refused to start with Zach. Um, and so that's kind of a story that started at the beginning. And then also you had, you had a lot of guys here who use submissions, uh, working on body parts. So you had um, Naito um, working on the, the neck of Zach Sabre Jr. using that, uh, that, like full Nelson, you had uh, Saber working on the the knees of Naito. You had um, Sonata also helping Naito work on the neck of Sonata to do the do the uh, the skull in. So a lot of interesting uh, body part work here. Uh, for those of you that might hear that noise in the background, that's Jeremy's house phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I heard last week when you explained the dojo situation. You know. Dojo red and black, you know. Yeah, the, still got la- still got landlines. Yeah, see, the Wolfpack Dojo has a, a landline. <laughs> yeah, earlier in the show too, like I've got a really powerful mic, and I'm, uh, you know, my office is like with the dog, so you might hear him like lapping water earlier in the show, like you know. Yeah. This is this is how it's gonna be until you guys start paying us more money. For this <laughs> shit. Yeah, and also your your chair too. <laughs> oh, my chair makes noise. Yeah. Oh, dude, I can't even hear it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of those, like, office chair, like, joints. Like, uh, I'll stop moving around so much. Uh, God. You should have told me a long time ago. How I've had this chair forever. We've been recording for months like this. I, I think I've told you before. Bro, I don't think you ever have. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, so um, you, you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, ZSJ and Naito, Naito's been challenging him you know, night after night to start the matches against him. And you almost kind of got the feeling like we're going to get the payoff to that at the beginning of this match. And ZSJ might go man to man with Naito. And then he doesn't, you're like, Oh my God, why did they do this? Well, it made all the sense in the world when the end of the match played out in a singles competition between Naito and ZSJ. And it almost was like, 
Saber sort of knew that Naito was focused and honed in on him and sort of had his number during this tour, you know? Right. So, yeah, he was trying to avoid that that one-on-one matchup at all costs. Yeah, and I like that story. I also like, um, bro, think about this. I was watching the show, and I don't know if you've noticed, but, like, Zack Saber Jr. is probably in the best shape I've ever seen. Oh, since I've- yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I know he's, like, a, supposed to be vegan, but I'm, like, I don't know the rules of vegan, but, like, he looks like he's been getting on the horse meat, like, a little <laughs> bit. Like, finally, like he finally, like, cracked a couple eggs and he's eating some, like, actual protein because this man's got, like, you know, kind of abs, but he's got some shoulders, got a tan. And, I mean, bro, if I told you in 2017 that, you know, four or five years from now, Zack Sabre Jr. is going to have a better look and physique than Tetsuya Naito. Like, I probably would have thought the future of me was lying, you know? Right. Yeah, Zach, but, that's, but that's how it is. Yeah, he's put on size. He's looking good. Maybe that, maybe that man's getting ready for a, uh, wants a world title run. Singles. Yeah, singles. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of great uh, sequences. Obviously, Sabre and Sonata had a lot of great chain wrestling and encounters back and forth there. Uh, you know, we, we got serious Tai Chi with, you know, all his big kicks and his common Garys and inseguries. Uh We had a return of Miho Abe uh, again for this big matchup, and she was kind of cleaning up the, the mess uh, ringside when they would be brawling uh, out to the outside. Um, the, the other thing, too, is the match was pretty straight. I mean, there was some, uh, you know, there, there was a moment where I believe Red Shoes got wrecked bumped, right? Um... Or I might actually be confusing that with uh, one of the undercard matches. Yeah, I think, I think you're thinking. You might be thinking about the, the the junior title match. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think there was a ref bump here. Yeah. So okay. So even with that not being the case, this match was pretty straight. I mean, um, you know, you had one. Obviously, you've got dangerous techers who can, when they need to, sort of lean into the heel tendencies and all that, but. They didn't really do that here. This was a straight, straight up match. Um, you know, they really all played to their s- strengths as far as wrestling styles are concerned, and sort of the spots that have uh, been established in the individual feuds that each of these guys have with one another. And it was just kind of like a, a really great classic tag team match. And I mean, it's weird because the, the the match from the night prior was shorter, but it felt longer. This one kind of breezed by for me. Yeah, and then like the, the, the closing uh, minute here was really good stuff. You had uh, Tai Chi hitting the the last ride, and Zach doing a, hitting a PK. Oh, they they killed Naito. Yeah, yeah, murdering with that. Hits, hits a, Zach gets a PK, gets the near fall. Then uh, you know Tai Chi he rips the pants off. They go for the the holy Zach driver, but that's reverse. Naito hits a Destino. Sonata hits a moonsault and gets uh, Tai Chi in the skull end, and then Naito hits another Destino. One, two, three, we have new tag team champions. Yeah, I really liked that um, that moment where um, Sonata hit the uh, moonsault just because you could kind of tell the finish was coming, but I didn't expect him to run in, hit that, and like kind of leave Zach like prone waiting for you know Naito to strike. So that kind of came out of nowhere. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, I think they're about to win. <laughs> and, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It was really cool. Yeah, and then uh, post-match in, in the backstage comments, immediately uh, Saber and Taichi rolled up on Naito and Sonata. Um, 
and ask for a rematch. And, uh, you know, Sonata or Stack's like, you know, Sonata, why are you teaming with Naito? Like, you can do so much better than this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And so, yeah, pretty much just appeasing to Sonata to get a uh, tag team title rematch, which we now have a date for. Yeah, and one thing I noticed, too, is before this title change took place, there seemed to be some discussion of possibly uh, Okada and Tanahashi challenging for these belts as well, uh, based on some of the comments that Dangerous Techers had made before dropping the belt. So, you know, um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I could see after this next little bit, you know, with, uh, you know, both Okada and Tanahashi having individual feuds, it doesn't seem like either one of them are poised and ready to jump straight into a singles title match. I mean, you know, maybe the the Mega Aces reuniting for a little bit is a possibility. And right away, if that is the case, I mean, you've got kind of a robust tag team division. Plus, also considering the fact that they're doing the tag team turbulence uh tournament over in America as well. I, all of a sudden, uh, the possibilities of possible matches within the tag team ranks, like, grows exponentially. Yeah. And, and the whole, uh, you know, scenario of them, you know, Dangerous Tickers calling out the Mega Aces, I kind of felt that that almost was kind of a setup for their loss as well. Because if you look at the cards, you saw that Tanahashi was paired up with Kenta and Okada was paired up with Cobb. So clearly that was not the direction um, like I was saying last week, I thought it made a ton of sense for them to drop the belt so you can set up a rematch at one of these big shows coming up, and, that, and that's kind of the direction they went here. But I do well, think there's also there's also like a, a a pretty cool kayfabe story there too, in that these guys were looking at visions of grandeur, comparing themselves to Holy Demon Army, and you know, kind of looking past Lij to other possible big money matches down the road with, you know, arguably the the two biggest aces of the company. And instead, you know, they dropped the belts. And now they're back on the on the hunt. They got to go, you know, they got to beat, you know, Suji and Yamura if they want to, they got to start <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah, they, they, better, they better fly over to to Strong and uh, face Wheeler, <laughs> Wheeler, Utah and Fred Yehi. No, they got to wrestle Jordan Clearwater. <laughs> and uh, uh, Mysterioso. <laughs> <laughs> Mysterioso. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so that's what's going on. <laughs> uh, we had, we had some questions here on the title change. Uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pig. It says, "Is there some kind of law that every main event has to go about thirty minutes or more?" I love the tag team main event from Night Two of Sapporo, but they definitely could have trimmed ten or twelve minutes and would have been as good or better. Same to a certain extent with Night One. Thank you for the comments and the question. To answer your question, yes. <laughs> yeah, the IWGP <laughs> yes, has a law. has put out a decree that every main event must must hit the at least thirty minute mark. Wait, so are you telling me that the competitors intentionally don't win the match until they pass thirty minutes? Wouldn't that indicate obvious cooperation? <laughs> like, like this might not be on the up and up. Something might, might not be right, you know. Hey man, it's it's a, it's interesting business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a business. These guys are trying to make money. They're swindling the gamblers. I don't like this shit. <laughs> they're, they're doing long cons. Yeah, it's a long con. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it before. Some of these main events don't need to go thirty minutes, but with them having reduced cards, they want to make sure the fans are getting their money's worth. Uh, of the show and make 
make sure they get a good long main event, uh, and that's why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I guess there could be more we could say about it, but yeah, that's pretty much the deal. I mean, uh, am I the biggest fan of always having 30-minute matches as the main event? No, I'm not. You know, sometimes when, you know, for instance, one of my favorite um, WWE matches is Brian Kendrick and uh, Kota Ibushi. And, you know, that one I I think is under 20 minutes. It's just, you know, incredible. So, like... Could New Japan do some really cool, hard-hitting 15, 20-minute matches in the main event spot? Yeah, I think they could. But uh, at the same time, to stay in that, like, depending on the show, for instance, these two shows were around the three-hour mark. I think you'd have to supplement and give another match on the show ample time. And then kind of got to ask yourself, like, well, did they, is there anything on the undercard that was built up enough to kind of you know, require the extra time that we'd give them. And the short answer is no, but I mean, that's more of a booking philosophy sort of, sort of thing. So um, I'd be fine with it. If they went shorter. I just think, you know, given what the fans are coming, you know, kind of expecting on a bigger show like this, you got to supplement it somewhere, you know? Right. And, you know, for guys like, like a Tai Chi, or not, excuse me, uh, Taiji Ishimori and Desperado, I feel like that's probably a match that probably wouldn't probably main event under normal circumstances. And those guys probably would have typically got like a 15 minute match. Uh, I, mean, I really enjoyed the match and maybe that one could have been shorter, but the, the techers and LIJ, I mean, those are four, you know, main event guys, four guys that have had big singles matches. I, I was fine with the length um, of their match, you know, a big history between all four of those guys there. Well, I also think from a booking perspective, it's it is problematic though to to know that most matches are going past thirty because then it becomes very formulaic, and it feels a like they're committed to being you know overly long and overly epic. And this is something we've complained about, not us on the air, but you know in private conversations. You know, you see these complaints with like NXT and WWE and the kind of patterns they fall into with like the melodrama, the talk, openly talking. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what new Japan's dealing with, but when, you know, when a company falls into a pattern of expectation, when it comes to the structure and the layout of the match, um, things become superfluous at that point. You know, you're watching the new Japan um, main event and you know, like the, the opening is just going to be a bunch of chaining and then there's going to, you know, there's going to be some body part work and then it's going to get hot the last like 10 minutes and nothing really until the last five matters. That's how a lot of people feel watching these new Japan shows. And that's something you want to kind of avoid because if you're doing it every match, then the, the, the importance and the meaning of the match sort of dwindles in a vacuum. It might work fine, but for those of us that are watching every show and seeing every main event, you know, and it's not just the city audience, it, it becomes problematic. Yeah. I think once the cards start getting back to normal and they can start doing more matches per card, I think we'll, we'll start to see some of the main events get trimmed down. That's true. But we've even, this has even been an issue in a complaint pre pandemic that new Japan was falling into this, uh, you know, tendency. And there was a time, you know, say what you will about the dark ages and, you know, pre Tanahashi era where guys could have longer or even shorter main event matches, just depending on what was needed and the story they were trying to tell. And I think every now and again, 
to have matches that are shorter or even maybe very short, depending on how you want to, you know, for instance, just to give you an example, like the first Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar match, you know, was super short, but it, you know, effectively fit what was needed for, for that story. Um, I don't see why New Japan couldn't do things like that. They've done it in the past. And, uh, you know, I think that might even be exciting for business. If someone went out there and just, fucking squash somebody you know right and then it creates that unpredictability like you never know what's going to happen in, in the main event yeah and, and you get stuff like this during super juniors and you get it during you know g1 every once in a while with especially with goofy guys like uh taguchi and and yano and that's all well and good but like man if if like for instance you know shingo's the champion and I don't know. It doesn't even have to be one of the like main main title matches, but like, what if he'd gone out there and he just fucking wrecked Watto in like a minute and a half, you know? Right. That'd be cool, but like <laughs> instead we went fifty fifty for like fifteen minutes. Right. Yeah. So yeah, definitely definitely a lot of things to kind of point out with the with the booking and how the cards are laid out, but we'll see how things change once uh, things get back to normal. So uh, his second question here, uh, he says, is Naito and Sonata's tag team title reign a sign of, A, nothing to do with them right now, so why not? B, trying to elevate the tag division with a main event star, or C, evidence that Naito was beginning his slide down the card toward eventual New Japan dad status? Um, I don't see why it, it, those are all mutual, mutually exclusive. I don't see why it couldn't be a combination of things. And I feel like, now, I will say the idea that he's sliding down the card to dad status is probably inaccurate and a little harsh, but there's no denying that. Right now, while Shingo's the champion and probably the top star in LIJ, yeah, it is a little bit of a slide, per se, for him as well as Sonata, two guys that have been in the title picture as you know recently as this year for them to kind of be preoccupied here. I think all of those are valid reasons and probably accurate. There is uh, no programs for these guys right now. Um, and they do want to also with, you know, the IC title merged and the never title in the U.S., the U.S. title in the U.S., you need to elevate some of these other titles. So, yeah, elevating the tag division, the tag titles was probably a goal here. Um, and then, yeah, I don't think he's – the Naito was sliding down to – Dad status. I obviously Naito is still one of the top stars um, of the company. You you put Naito in the main event. You you can see the numbers between night one and two here. There was about you know a thousand fan uh, difference, and you had Naito in the main event here. So I don't think we're going to see like Naito as a you know opening match dad uh, anytime soon. And so then we move on to uh, questions here from Steven from the Wrestling Squared Circle. Uh, first, he asks, uh, with Naito and Sonata winning, are they a long-term team? Can you see Zack and Taichi winning again? Is there a singles title to push those two? Yeah, I think that's an um, interesting question. I mean, uh, could I see the former champions, you know, get their belts back? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the IWGP heavyweight titles, so... Um, and that could be long-term or short-term, you know? That could be the the very next title defense, or it could be six months from now. Um, and maybe it's not them, but, you know, in terms of possibilities, that's 
got to be one of them. As far as uh, Naito and Sonata are concerned, I don't really know. Uh, you know, I did think that they were they might win this, but um, in terms of like what the the booking decisions are going to be going forward, I mean, I'm optimistic, um, reluctantly because we kind of said the same things about uh, you know Golden Ace, and it didn't really pan out the way that we kind of hoped when it mm-hmm. came to Tanahashi and Ibushi, but. Um, I did notice that um, Oka- or Naito made some interesting comments at the end of this match, and he kind of discussed, you know, for the first time, Shingo being the champion and each member of LIJ needing to kind of prove themselves and find their placement within the, in the group, which might be a little bit of a hint to possibly some infighting, you know, maybe yeah. some, uh, some strife between them. And that, that kind of started with the, uh, the Never Six Man title match, you know, with Shingo winning the title that, you know, Naito was trying to look for, you know, get the team some gold there, the, the six-man titles that didn't work out there, so then he transitioned over to the tag titles with Sonata, so yeah, definitely, yeah, there could be some tension or just kind of one of those things where he's trying to get the rest of LIJ to step their game up as well and get titles, so it'll be interesting to see what comes from there, um, as far as... Uh, and, and that's, um, to kind of speak to that, that's the kind of the beauty of it, is it's a little bit nuanced, because maybe... He, he's jealous a little bit and, and maybe that's kind of festering and developing, or maybe like you said, he's just trying to be a good leader and motivate everybody. And you don't really know which one's which. Right. Um, and as far as like Zach and Taichi getting singles push, I mean, I would love to see those guys get some more singles opportunities. I mean, I love them as a team, um, but I think both of them are great in singles role. And I think it'd be cool to have guys like Zach and Taichi, up against Shingo, and it may have been challenging Shingo. I think Shingo could have really good matches with both those guys. Yeah, it's 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 funny with Taichi. Um, I think we've always been a little bit ahead when it comes to him uh, in terms of our reception to his character and his gimmick and his work. Um, it always feels like maybe the general public is a little bit behind on that. But at the same time, I've never fully bought in on Tai Chi, especially how many times he's fucked off and kind of given us poor performances. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like the company has to commit to him before we can receive him properly, you know? Yeah. Because, like, you want him to do well and you hope that he does, but then when they push him, my my, knee-jerk reaction is always like, oh, I don't know, this seems like a mistake. And then when he, like, delivers, you're like, oh, shit, this was awesome. Right, yeah. And so I still kind of feel that way with him. It's like when it comes to, for instance, like with Zach, if they go and really give him a sustained singles push, which it feels like they haven't done anything like that with him since he won the New Japan Cup, which that was like, what, 2017? Uh, 2018, New Japan Cup. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Um that kind of made him, but since that time, it, he hasn't felt like a really, really serious, strong singles competitor. And at the same time, like, I feel like it wouldn't take much to heat him up. But with like Taichi, he is way, he's light years beyond where he, where, you know, people perceived him a couple, a year or two ago. But I still don't think most people see him as being like, upper mid-card level, which is kind of what he's on the cusp of right now. 
you know? Right. Yeah, he might need, like, a run with, you know, the, the Never title or some other, you know, secondary title before he gets, like, a world title shot. Taichi, U.S. heavyweight champion, headlining all over the country, you know, different regions. Yeah, maybe he, he can be the one to beat uh, Mr. John Moxley. He's going to be a super draw in Texas. <laughs> uh, uh, his second question, he said, with Sonata winning the title, does this mean Sonata is a tag team guy only? You think the promising young guy is now tag only? Did his singles title hopes or his singles title hope title hopes gone? There, there's so many worse things that you could be than a tag guy. You know, like I don't know. Could be um, a job guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't say I don't think he is because they're still you know presenting him and Naito as like an all star team, which is what they are. You know, I'm we're this podcast is all in favor of all-star tag team so i think it's great but um yeah i don't think singles title gold is out of the question for him down the line although has he held any singles gold in new japan i don't think he ever has uh no i think the only was he he the rep pro champion or no he challenged saber but i think he lost because that was wrestle kingdom right where he faced saber and lost yeah, bro. I don't think he's ever held a singles championship in New Japan. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he's failing every every defense he's or every uh, challenge he's had. Loser. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, he might yeah, maybe they see him as like a tag team champion guy, but right now, like you said, it's kind of like a mega for, a mega team super team here. And I think eventually we'll see Sonata probably back in the the world title picture at some point. And like I said um, in the past. Even if he's not "quote unquote" a tag guy per se, I think that he thrives in a tag environment. I think that you know uh, his best attributes are on full display in a tag environment. Right, and we saw that with him and Evil, him and Shingo, and now with him and Naito, it, it just seems like it's a tag team. Whatever it is, like that, that tag team environment, he just excels in. Yeah, he's good at it, man. Yeah, you know, he's he's Japanese Bobby Eaton. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, and last question here from Dom Homie 101 we pretty much covered everything I think he said any thoughts on the duo of Naito and Sonata winning the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships what is the future for Naito and Sonata as champions well yeah like you mentioned we, we answered a lot of that but it does feel like there's a date in the not so near future for LIJ and the United Empire mm. and kind of given the backstory you know, this past year with Naito and Okada and Okan and Okan still kind of having Naito's name in his mouth in the backstage promos, you know, that's kind of what's next on the docket. And, you know, I feel like that's probably why they, they switched the straps to LIJ is like, these are two really big names and this is a way that Okan can get his win back against Naito down the line without actually getting his singles win back from Naito, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, they could have, yeah, he pins him in, in a big tag main event and wins his first title that way. And that does a lot, too, for Jeff Cobb, another guy that's kind of streaking this year and sort of really, you know, he's got buzz and, and you know, heat behind him. So um, that's what I'm thinking is next. I think it's going to be Empire and LIJ sometime in the not-so-near future. Yeah, I would love to see that. 
Well, now we're going to go over the cards that are coming up for the uh, next few big shows here in Japan. So uh, coming up this Saturday, we'll have a Summer Struggle show at Corkin Hall. Uh, Saturday, July 17th, 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time on New Japan World. We're going to have a main event of Rocky Romero versus El Fantasmo. Semi-main event of Rizuke Taguchi versus Taiji Ishimori. Then we'll have Robbie Eagles teaming up over Pungi 3K to take on Despi, Kanemaru, and Doki. Naito Sonata and Bushi will take on Dangerous Techers and Minoru Suzuki. And then the opener, we got Tanahashi, Ichii, Suji, and Yamura against the Bullet Club team of Kenta, Evil, Yujiro, and Dick Togo. Uh, so we got that, that big uh, Rocky ELP rematch this Saturday. That should be pretty good. So then moving on to uh, Summer Struggle in Osaka, night one. This is uh, Thursday, July 22nd, 4 a.m. Eastern start time on New Japan World. We're going to have a main event of Naito versus Taichi, semi-main of Sonata versus Sabre. Then we got Bushi and Wato against Shingo and Bushi, Okada and Goto against Kab and Okan, Tanahashi, Ishii, Yoshihashi against Kenta Evil and Yudro, and then Robbie Eagles and Punky 3K against Despi, Kanemaru, and Doki. Summer Struggle in Osaka, night two, July 23rd, 1 a.m. Eastern start time on New Japan World. we got a main event of Naito and Saber, semi-main event of Sonata and Taichi. Then we got uh, Bushi and Wato against Shingo and Bushi, Okada and Yoshihashi against Kavano Khan, Tanahashi, Ishii, and Yano against Kenta, Evil, and Yudro. And then opener of Goto and the Mega Coaches against Taiji, ELP, and Jado. And then we got Summer Struggle in Nagoya on Saturday, July 24th. With a 4 a.m. Eastern start time on New Japan, we got Tanahashi and Kenta as the main event. Evil and Ishii in the semi-main event. And then we have Abushi and Wato against Shingo and Bushi. Okada and Yano against Kab and Okan. Goto, Yoshihashi, and, and the Mega Coaches against Yujiro, Taiji, ELP, and Jado. And then the opener of Eagle, Sho, and Yo. And Despi or Eagles showing yo against Despi Kanemaru and Doki. So, young boy, thoughts on these uh, these summer struggle shows before we talk about wrestling Grand Slam? Yeah, so I mean, um, pretty you know, obviously, we're in, in the route here where we're kind of continuing most of the feuds that were sort of established during these most two recent uh, summer struggle shows. You know, on the 17th, we're seeing the two singles matches that are previews for the junior tag titles. And, you know, we're getting Rocky Romero and uh, El Fantasmo. Those two have a very storied history. I think this is the third time in New Japan that they, they faced off in singles action in the main event. And then Taguchi and Ishimori, they have a lot of history with one another as well. Um, so that, sh- that stuff should be pretty good. And then kind of the same thing. On the 22nd, you're getting Naito and Taichi and Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. I would say I would expect to see more traditional heel and face dynamics start to emerge here and maybe more heat uh, on the back burner coming off this most recent title match between these two teams. And yeah, same thing on the 23rd where you're kind of seeing, you know, Naito and Sonata and Taichi and Zack Sabre switch roles. So that's also going to be interesting to see how that plays out where you're getting Naito facing each member each night and vice versa. Because, I mean, if any, obviously, I mean, those are 
four really big names, and it's going to be interesting to see if we're going to see any clean losses. Right. And if if perhaps, like, let's say if Taichi is eating a clean loss, just as an example, each night, you might expect him to sort of be the weak lead going into the next title match between the teams. Right, and, and if they win the titles back, maybe he's the one that gets the win to redeem the two losses. Yeah, so it's just going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Uh, if there's any rifts that kind of grow between these two teams, they sort of seem that to be at a uh, you know at a crossroads there. And then um, on the 24th, yeah, Tanahashi and Kenta, that's one of the bigger singles matches that they've been building up. And then Ishii and Evil. I got to tell you, though, I was sort of expecting both of these singles matches to sort of be in play for the Tokyo Dome. Um, especially the Ishii and Evil match. But, um, you know, to kind of see them in the top two spots on the Summer Struggle Tour uh, for the show, you know, I'm not super surprised, but with the Tokyo Dome around the corner, I was a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with the schedule right now. With so many big shows and them having to spread stuff out, you need some big matches and some some other shows here. And so they needed something for Nagoya. Uh, they got the ace against Kenta Ishii versus Evil, two matches that they've uh, been building up the last week or so, and you know two big matches that I mean Ishii or Tanahashi and Kenta they they wrestled three times now, so it's gonna be their fourth matchup. Uh, it's been good matches every time, and it's still I think a pretty big match that should you know draw pretty well for that Nagoya show. Uh, we have a question about Ishii and Evil from Rainbow and Slam Pig. It says Evil sliding back into a mid card matchup against a brawling, bruising heavy hitter. Makes me think he may be slotted back where he he's best fitted. Any thoughts on what's next for him? I assume Ishii will carry him to a good match in Nagoya. Well, you know, that's kind of my my first um, initial thought. Is like, you know, I've seen Ishii and Evil have really good matches, and I've seen them have matches that I thought kind of lacked. Uh, just now you mentioned that Tanahashi and Kenta, all their matches have been good, and I would, I would probably counter that and say, I remember a couple, like maybe the first one for sure, and maybe like one or two have been good, but I also have seen them have matches that were I was a little dis- disappointed in. Yeah, I would say the the first G the 2019 G one match was their best match. I think that, that I would call that great. And then I thought that match was great too. Then they had the rematch in the 2020 G one, which was like okay, like three point seven five ish if I remember. And then they had that but I didn't like the that power struggle match. Yeah, the power struggle match. Yeah, that's the one I for, I didn't even realize they wrestled this many times. But yeah, I didn't like. The the briefcase match. So, um, and I say that like, hopefully I'm hoping that with both of these two matches in the top spot, that they're going to go up, you know, go out there and kind of deliver. And we know that they're capable of it, but you know, I've seen both of these tandems sort of, you know, underperform. So I don't know that Ishii for sure is going to carry, you know, evil to a good match or Tanahashi Kenta vice versa. But, um, I also don't know that Evil is necessarily sliding back into a mid-card status. I mean, I think there's some indicators to support that, for sure. But, you know, we see lots of times where top stars, you know, or top fledgling stars have to kind of take a little bit of a seat, or, you know, a back seat while some of the other guys are kind of, you know, um, set in place with facing one another. It doesn't mean that they're done with him per se and you know i mean i don't know people didn't say this about jay white when he was first coming back and slot against Ishii. you know i don't i don't 
think just because he's fighting Ishii that he's in the mid card, you know. And in fact, he's probably going to beat Ishii, you know, to make matters worse. Right. Yeah, he's kind of been on simmering on the back burning, burning, you know, feuding with Yano for KOPW, having a never six man defense. He's kind of yeah, been on the back burner with some feuds, and so. With like we mentioned, G one season coming up, they they're probably gonna want Evil to look strong going into G one, being a former double champion. So yeah, he's probably gonna get the win over Ishii here, and then go on to have a decent G one as far as record wise. But um, as far as everything goes with these shows, am I as excited as some of those Cork and Hall shows the past couple weeks with like the third generation dads against the chaos six man team and all those singles matches. And then the never six man tag title. Like, no, I'm not as excited because I don't think there's as much content here, but it's kind of nice. You know, you look at uh, who's involved in these multi-man matches and you're getting returns in Taguchi and Rocky Romero and Robbie Eagle. So there's some fresh blood and excitement there. And then you're, you're getting some of like the top, like, uh, MVPs of the most recent tours, you know, you're getting Cobb, Okada, Yoshihashi, Okan, Tanahashi, Ishii. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff here. And some of the more, you know, I, I won't badmouth anybody, but there's some names that are more, you know, associated with lower quality matches. And they're kind of exempt from these cards. You know, you're not seeing a lot of, well, I guess I'll, I'll just say the names. Like, you're not seeing a lot of, you know, Dick Togo and a lot of, you know, G.O.D. and a lot of, you know, a lot of that sort of shit on the show. So, you know, the next three to four Summer Struggle uh, Tour shows look pretty good. Plus with, uh, you know, several meaningful singles matches at the top of those shows, I think they all look pretty good. Yeah, and I feel like the Tanahashi and Kenta match is going to be a very important match, kayfabe-wise, to what's next for both of those guys, because I feel like both of those guys have kind of been floating this year. You know, since Kenta lost to John Moxley, he's kind of been in flux, I feel, like, almost on the back burner, almost like with Evil. Uh, then Tanahashi, since losing the Never title, I feel like also kind of been on the back burner. And so I feel like this is kind of a big match. And see, like, whoever wins, I feel like they might be doing something with one of these guys going forward. Possibly, uh, as far as like, do you mean like as far as like world title contention, or are you thinking uh, more like the Never Division? Not necessarily world title, but definitely like maybe featured more going into another like bigger singles program. Um, and yeah, maybe it is a shot at the Never. Um, they could do that, or some other some other opportunity. Or also, you know, there is a resurgence coming up. One of these guys could. Uh, come to the U.S. Obviously, Kenta has history with Moxley. Doing uh, Moxley versus Tanahashi would be a big match. Or maybe the winner is getting a U.S. house shot, maybe. Who knows? And what's next for the loser? They get, like, pushed down to, like, elevation? Yeah, they they go, they go and uh, face... Um, I'm trying to think of somebody from elevation. They, they go and face uh, J.D. Drake on elevation. They gotta move... They gotta go to MLW, right? <laughs> No, but they gotta, they gotta go to Impact. They gotta face uh, Violent by Design. They got yeah. Uh, but uh, let's talk about. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Russell Grand Slam card, which was also revealed. This is going to be on July 25th, and it's also going to be airing on Fight TV in English and in French for $19.99. But honestly, nah, fuck all that. I don't. I don't need English speaking commentary. I'll, I'll stick with the you know Japanese commentary. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, English will be on New Japan World for this show as well. So I don't know why. Anyway, no, they said it wouldn't be. No, that's for for resurgence. It won't be for Wrestle Grand Slam. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm confusing these two shows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So there will be English and and Japanese on New Japan World for Wrestle Grand Slam, and then on Fight English and French. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't know why. If you want English, just get New Japan World for the nine ninety nine yen. Well. um, I'll go down the card real quick. So we got some pretty uh, exciting stuff here. Uh, opening up the show, we got the New Japan Rambo Battle Royal for the KOPW 2021 trophy. It was sort of teased all week um, that there might be some added stipulations. It looks like fans will decide whether handcuffs or blindfolds will be used in the New Japan Rambo for the provisional KOPW. 2021 title at New Japan Wrestle Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome. So, yeah, uh, Toriano made this announcement in an interview on NJPW's website, and it looks like that's going to be the the proposition is whether hand cuff, handcuffs or blindfolds are going to be involved in this Rambo, which I'm not a big fan of this, Jeremy. I yeah, got to tell you. Yeah, this sounds weird. So he says uh, on the guardrails and the ropes will be handcuffs set up to use uh, – Rambo, as normal, when you're pinned, submitted, or you're thrown over the top, you're out. But you can also be put out by being handcuffed, and then you're stuck there for the rest of the match. Completely humiliating, he says. And then he says, if it's a blindfold, you put a blindfold on a opponent to eliminate them. They actually had a match in... Um, I've actually seen a few different territory matches involving uh, handcuffs. Plus, like, I feel like there was, like... A very specific era of like 2000, 2001 WCW, like Vince Russo era, where guys were getting handcuffed to the ropes all the time. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's been a couple Smoky Mountain and uh, world class matches I've seen where to lose a match, guys get handcuffed, and then it's like, you know, it'd be like team battles. Once the whole team was handcuffed, then the other team had like five minutes to just fuck them up <laughs> as bad as they possibly could. <laughs> So I don't know if that's how the Rambo is going to work, but you know, my whole thing is this. I absolutely love the New Japan Rambo. 
So the idea that they're going to, you know, bastardize it with added stipulations, it's already a Rambo. Why the fuck are you doing this? Like, I understand. You know, it was bad enough that they ended it, the last one back in January with the final four. Like this was the 1997 Royal Rumble or some shit. <laughs> and, you know, now they're trying to turn it into a Smoky Mountain like stipulation. I don't like that. Yeah, man. Uh, well, the good thing is it's it's on the pre-show, so it won't be on the main card. That that's how you know it's not a real Tokyo Dome. They got a fake. Not only is it a fake Tokyo Dome, they got a fake ass Rambo to start the the fake Tokyo <laughs> Dome as well. <laughs> um, opening up the show proper, we have the IWGP Junior Tag Team Titles: Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasmo versus uh, Mega Coaches Rock and Roll and uh, Rizuki Taguchi. They made it onto the Dome Show. Tomohiro Ishii can't make it on the show, but... Uh, sidelined. Least, yeah, he's sidelined, but at least Taguchi's on this shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, after that, the junior heavyweight title, El Desperado, will be defending against uh, the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles. And then uh, Kazushiko Okada will, facing, will be facing Jeff Cobb in a special singles. Uh, what is... What's... Uh, Gabe Spolsky always call those matches special challenge match? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, special challenge. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, special challenge match. Okada, handsome battle. Handsome battle three. And then uh, the semi-main event, the IWGB tag team titles are on the line as the LIJ team of Naito and Sonata defend against the former champions, the Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. And then the main event, the IWGB World Heavyweight ta- uh, ta- Champion Shingo Takagi will be defending against the former champion in Kota Ibushi. Pretty good show, top to bottom, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a you know a pretty good card. You have all the titles that are in Japan defended on the card. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned you know Ishii and Tanahashi not being on here, but you know they probably felt like for those you know Os- Osaka and Nagoya shows, I mean, you, I don't think they felt strong enough of having the junior tag title or the junior title match main event any one of those shows. And when you think Tokyo Dome, you normally think of all, all the titles being online. So I can understand why things are structured out that way. But on the main card, you, ha- you have five solid matches here. Uh, we've seen you know, some of these matches before, and they've been good. You know, Despy and Eagles. They had a near four star match in the Super Juniors in December, which is really good. Um, ELP and Taiji and the Mega Coaches, they have good chemistry. That should be good. Uh, Cobb, and Oka- Cobb and Okada should be a great match with the, with the role you know Cobb is on now. We already saw Tickers and Lij. That was you know four four and a quarter. So that should be a great semi main. And then Chingon and Bushi, we've seen them in the G one four and a half star match. So that and that should be another you know that should be a killer main event. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's it's a weird feeling because when I look at the card top to bottom, it's a good card, and I'm like, this could even maybe be like, ah, you know, this might not have been bad for like say a Dominion given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, for the Tokyo Dome, like I don't know. But we don't even know what's going to end up happening. I know they were only selling tickets until very recently. Yeah, right? yeah. So that was a note I had here. So um, Tokyo is going under another state of emergency, and so due to that and restrictions on live events, they had to cut off the ticket sales on midnight on July 11th Japan time. So. Uh, we had like a similar situation, I believe, for Wrestle Kingdom or another bigger show this year where they had to kind of cut off 
uh, selling tickets due to the state of emergency. So I'm not sure. haven't heard how many tickets were sold, but it's not probably as many as they were hoping for. Yeah, I mean, this was something that was kind of bound to be inevitable <laughs> when it comes to this show and their insistence to do it, uh, you know, a Tokyo Dome show. We kind of discussed all the possible pitfalls regarding this, and some of that seems to be playing out. And, you know, I feel like it wasn't that long ago when we were on the show, we were like, hey, they've had a bunch of states of emergency the freaking Olympics are coming up and it seems like it just keeps getting worse and worse. They might, I think I was on the show and I said, they might want to have some sort of backup plan in place, you know, in place just in case. And it seems to be that that has continued to uh, play itself out. So, you know, it is unfortunate. I'm not happy about it. You know, uh, Dave Meltzer, I was listening to him on observer recently and he was talking about the pandemic and this whole period and he's like, you know, the one company that was hurt the worst by the pandemic and continues to be is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Hands down. Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing that play out, you know, compared to where they were pre-pandemic versus where they are, the state of their business and, and everything like that afterwards. Nobody fell quite as far as they have. And although things are starting to kind of feel normal again for the first time in a while, it's, it's still just like, man, you know, they're trying to, you know, I don't know, put on a Tokyo Dome show and it doesn't, I mean, the card's good and I'm glad for it because we haven't had something this consistently good in a while. I mean, probably since January of this year, but I mean, at the same time, it's like, damn it, it you got to book the Tokyo Dome to just get like a, you know, a C plus level card from New Japan these days. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, they're they're breaking even right now. They're trying to get as many people as they can to shows, trying to do more bigger shows. And what we're seeing here, well, these, you know, these summer struggle shows and also Grand Slam, the you know, the these are shows that are back to back to back. And you know, you could have probably put some of these bigger matches on one being car. Like if this was a normal Tokyo Dome, Evil and Ishii and Tanashi and Kento would probably be on this card. Um, and if they didn't have all and, these- then, and then you're talking about a card that's like, wow look at what they're doing like that. If, if you had all of that on the same show, I'd be like, Holy shit. Right. But yeah, with all these shows and them trying to, you know, make a profit. Yeah. It's hard to get a big stack card. Um, any other quick thoughts that you have? I know we got a lot of questions on this topic. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think it, it's a good card. I think we're going to get some very good to great matches. On the card, I, I think it's the best I could do with the state of emergency, with doing a, a five-match card and getting the titles there. I think all the matches have been built up uh, pretty well here, and so it should be a very good show. That's the one thing I'm noticing, too. The title matches for this for the upcoming shows and tours feel built for the first time. You know, aside from Shingo and Ibushi, which... It's not their fault because I'm sure that they would have been building towards that. You know, who knows how effectively, but they would have at least been building to it, provided he was on the shows. But other than that, everything else feels like, yeah, you know, this feels familiar. It feels like, you know, Gato and not like this weird, bizarro, you know, world Gato that we've had for the past six months or year or so. Yeah, maybe he's uh, finally, you know, cracked the notebook open again and started making plans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. 
But we got some questions. Um, MJ Does PR asked us. He says, Robbie Eagles makes one Zoom call, and then he's challenging for a title in the Tokyo Dome. What's up with that? <laughs> hey, man. He, Robbie Eagles knows how New Japan works. He, he knows you have to be the first one out there to make a challenge. He couldn't physically be there, so got the file over. You know, didn't say a name. Just say, you know, congratulations, champ, and he, he was ready to go. So, hey, smart man. Here's the thing. You know, I was thinking about that exact same thing. MJ does PR. I was thinking about how the last time we saw this dude, he was in the uh, best of super juniors. He was like batting 500 and he was wrestling for the most part in the middle of the card. He didn't have too many main events or semi main events. And he was very good too great, but not in that upper echelon because they didn't give him enough opportunities. And I was like, man, he's kind of saddled as this like, upper second tier junior, but he doesn't really get too many of the like big chances. And then suddenly he's in the fucking Tokyo Dome against Desperado. <laughs> and I guess part of it's because we've already seen main events with Yo and Sho and, you know, Ishimori and ELP. And it's like, and obviously there's no Hiromu. So it's like last man standing, Robbie Eagles. They could have gone with Bushi. Fuck that. But, uh, <laughs> Here's what it really comes down to, okay? And here's the difference between why a Master Wato isn't in the main event, you know, or in the junior title match for the Tokyo Dome and Robbie Eagles does, is it comes down to ingenuity and it comes down to self-promotion. This man, Robbie Eagles, is not only out there working hard, but is putting together fire-ass content showing himself doing cool shit. You remember, like, back in the 2000s, Jeremy? You know, um, we didn't always have access to those ROH and, like, Chikara shows, but then you'd watch, like... The music video a, things? A music video? Yes. You'd be like, holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit. This, I've never seen wrestling like this in my entire life. Yes. Especially, like, and those that, early 2000s. Like, they do, like, those, like, weekly, like, music videos, recaps. Like, oh, my gosh. Like... And then you get a chance to actually watch the show, and you're like, this match was three and a quarter. <laughs> Okay, I couldn't tell you right now. I'm sure there's a lot of content that we need to catch up with when it comes to Robbie Eagles and him being on, ex, you know, having excursion matches this year. But I mean, I don't know how good he's actually. I mean, obviously he's great, but I don't know how awesome his matches have been and the work he's been doing. But you watch these uh, promotional videos this man's putting together. He looks like one of the greatest juniors of all time. <laughs> I don't see Watto out there putting out the best 15 moves of Master Watto on YouTube, okay? No, nah, that, that man's out in the, in the forest trying to find his way to the Grand Master. Yeah, I don't see Yoshinabu Kanemaru putting, you know, comp videos of him set to backdrop to stained, okay? I don't see that <laughs> shit going on, okay? There's a reason why Robbie Eagles is in the Tokyo Dome and, you know, fucking, I don't know. Taguchi's not, you know? Right. Well, well, Taguchi is just in a, in a tag role. <laughs> Whatever. Same shit. Uh, next question here from at the real M Braids on Twitter. Any idea why Tanahashi isn't on the Tokyo Dome card? I'm baffled given this, the current state of business putting the Tanakenta 
in the dome as yet another marquee match. Seems obvious to me, but there it is on a road to show. Am I missing something? Well, that uh, he's headlining the Sapporo show, right? The N- Nagoya show. So yeah, it's not it's not a road to show yet. It's Summer Struggle in Nagoya, um, which is a pretty big show for them. It's like going to be like a, a, a B level show. So like I mentioned, you, you needed something to main event there, and they didn't they didn't see the junior title match or the junior tag title match. As main event, I think that obviously you need you need Okada for sure in the dome, so that you couldn't do Okada and Cobb there. So, yeah, I mean that would be like asking why isn't Randy Macho Man Savage on the card with Hulk Hogan in the A Town in 1986? You know, well, someone's got to go draw in the Boston Garden, and it's gonna be Honky Tonk and uh, fucking Macho. You know, right. That's the deal. I mean, it's, that's that's what it is. Someone had to draw Nagoya. Right, yeah. So it's either that or, yeah, you put Okada there. But, yeah, you need Okada in the, the quote-unquote A-town, the A-spot here. So that, that was it. <laughs> that's what it is. That's the that's the wrestling business, kid. Uh, <laughs> next to the question here from uh, Viking Payne. says, are you guys surprised that Tanahashi isn't a part of the Dome Shore? Or is that a sign that Ace will be making his way to America for resurgence? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I've, I haven't really thought about him being on New Japan strong too much or anything like that. But, I mean, some of these dads coming over, I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised if down the line, especially with live audiences and depending on how things play out on the upcoming uh, – what's that show that we're going to called? Resurgence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the Resurgence show. Who knows? I mean, maybe maybe someone like Tanahashi could like make their way to Japan, or to North America. I don't know. Right, and Tanahashi is featured in the promotional video, but his name is not featured. They haven't announced him as a talent, so people have been speculating that he would be on the card. Like I was saying earlier, you know, maybe if he beats Kenta here, Kenta was was a former challenger this year. Maybe he beats Kenta, and that's his calling card to face John Moxley. Well, I mean, you got to figure. Let's say hypothetically they are gearing Tanahashi up for something. Who knows what it is? Um, we're talking about G1 being in like what September? Yeah, got some time between now and then. And I mean, he clearly like is sort of out of the never realm right now, as far as like Jay White goes, unless they're going to run that back. Um, he's, I mean, you could always heat him up, I guess, and get him pre- prepared to like drop an L to Shingo for the world title, but I don't see why he's never held the red belt. John Moxley's always looking for a fresh dance partner. You could do some big business with fucking Tanahashi and John Moxley. Um, what if they did John Moxley and, and Tanahashi at what's the next pay-per-view uh, for AEW? Yeah. Uh, all out. In uh, Labor Day weekend. Now, before before people shut me down on that, what if Kidani and Tony Khan have a deal worked out where a percentage of the gate and a percentage of the pay per view buys is paid out to New Japan in return for like lending Tanahashi to AEW for All Out, and then you get that in the semi main event spot for the IWGP. US title, you get like Tanahashi and Mox on AEW pay per view. That pay per view 
with that plus Kenny and Hangman would fucking kill. Yeah, I mean that that would be great. I'd be down for that. Obviously, we're seeing you know several U.S. offenses on AEW TV, so why not you know get a, a big match out of the ace on U.S. pay per view against Moxley um, in a, in a packed you know ten thousand plus uh, arena. That, that well, I think be... there's there's plenty of reasons why not to, but if they're getting points on the pay per view, then it would then it would be worth it. Right. Yeah. So. Interesting, something like that happens, or if it ends up being on the the resurgence uh, LA show. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We're gonna be there, so yeah. Uh, We're flying all day Friday and Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be some long, <laughs> long, long travel days. <laughs> uh, his second question: he says, Is it surprising to see that Robbie Eagles is getting the big Tokyo Dome match? Do you guys think they're gonna use a spotlight for a big angle with Robbie Robbie to United Empire? That's a cool idea. I wouldn't be opposed to it. In fact, I'd be excited if they did decide to do something like that. But um, I don't know that it's that surprising. I mean, undoubtedly, in my opinion, this would have to be Robbie Eagle's biggest match of his career, just given the stage, you know? Um, I don't know that he's ever had a match of that caliber previously anywhere else, so... That is a big deal, but he's also so good that I'm not surprised to see that put him in that position because he's sort of like the guy that you can go to and trust to deliver whatever needed to be called upon, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, it should be, like we mentioned, like in the best Super Juniors, they had a really great uh, matchup there, so this, this should be another great match here. Uh, next question from Why Did You Do That Bro? The Tokyo Dome card only has five matches on the main card, while the two Wrestle Kingdom 15 cards had six each. Do you think this is a good or bad thing? Well, I mean, again, it is a Tokyo Dome show, but as you mentioned earlier, the ticketing is limited. It's hard to really kind of imagine what the environment's going to be like with you know the state of emergency and everything like that. I don't know what to expect. So it's hard for me to say what they should or shouldn't be doing because I'm not, from a business standpoint, in their shoes. As right. a fan, it, it may be good. It may be bad. It really depends on what they they do with the you know the time that they have available. Right. That's another big thing with these state of emergencies. There has been restrictions on timing and having to end shows at a certain time. So. Maybe the five matches is only slotted, you know, they only, maybe they only have like two and a half hours and they have to be out or three hours, whatever the time is. And so they also, they're going to give Abushi and Chingo time. They're going to give Okada and Cobb time. And so they, they want to give as much time as they can to some of these matches that they've been building. So that's what they have to do. That's what they got to do. And then last question here from Dom Hui 101, which I think we've pretty much covered. Thoughts on the lineup for 725 Tokyo Dome show. Are you surprised that guys like Roshi Tanahashi, Kenta Evil, and Ishii being left off the card? Seems like a lot of people are. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about it. Yeah, especially Tanahashi. Yeah, you know, it's, it's Tanahashi. No, bro, especially Evil. <laughs> yes, the, the formidable champ, uh... Big shock there, not seeing him in the dome. But yeah, you know, again, we, we've kind of broke it down. It's like they ha- they have all these big shows. They, they gotta they have to give the other towns these main events so they can draw, so they can hit their their goal to have X amount of people in the building, so they continue to at least break even and maybe make some kind of profit. 
Well, I think that wraps it up. Any other final thoughts on uh, Russell Grand Slam? I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, um, even if there's flaws and things like that, this past year, the best shows that we saw from New Japan occurred in the Tokyo Dome. We know how New Japan in this, especially since the Bushiroad era, especially in the last four to five years, has really treated any event that they've hosted in the Tokyo Dome. I expect nothing less than excellence. So even if this is, you know, a 2015, 2016 Dominion level card, um, I'm expecting probably something higher than that, just given how revered the Tokyo Dome is and how this current uh, roster and, you know, the talent level they possess and, you know, the sort of respect and reverence they have for that show. So it's probably going to be awesome, even if, you know, only 7,000, 6,000 people show up. Right, yeah, I think all the guys are going to be motivated. They're going to try and kill it. And like I talked about last week with the, you know, the grapple top 10 of the year so far, majority of that list was New Japan. And even in a clap crowd pandemic uh, era, New Japan still putting out some of the best matches in the world. And so you have some of the best wrestlers in the world on this card, and I think we're going to get some bangers. I, I know we are. Bro, Okada and Cobb, come on. Yeah, bro, just just from the, the preview matches so far, that, that drop kick into the spin cycle, like, I can only imagine the sequences they're going to have for the singles match. Yeah, I'm excited for it as well. So let's uh, move on over to New Japan Strong. So this past Friday, we had the Road to Tag Team Turbulence show opened up with Barrett Brown defeating the DKC. Uh, interesting choice here. Obviously, DKC is still a young lion, but he he's in the tag turbulence, and Barrett Brown's not. So that that was kind of weird. Yeah, uh, I watched this. Um, I mean, I for me, I just feel like the main thing is like I understand the idea of like the preview for Barrett Brown or whatever, but you know, and DKC. But the main thing is like Barrett Brown is in the midst of. Um, you said DKC is in the tournament, but Bear Brown's not? Right. I don't think that's really the point. I think the point is that Bear Brown was complaining earlier this year about him not being able to pick up wins, and then Adrian Quest sort of, you know, preferring himself in the glory of winning on his own versus the betterment of the team, and Barrett Brown sort of being delusional in that sense, because yeah. they were still winning. He and then... And then he sort of aligned himself with Bateman now, and him and Bateman are not in the tournament, although in his mind, they should be. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's not even – obviously, DKC is not going to win because while we might have seen some of the LA Dojo Young Lions win, like we're definitely not seeing these – rookie lions like Kevin Knight and DKC pick up wins, you know? Right, and, and Bear Brown did – um use the tights to get the win here. So there is some, you know, plausible deniability there. Like, oh, he, you know, if he didn't grab the tights, maybe DKC would have had a chance. Yeah, and you know what? DKC was actually on a comeback when that happened, which also kind of continues that storyline that, like, Bear Brown barely has enough to even beat the lowest of the low-level <laughs> Lions in DKC. Everyone else on that roster beats DKC with at least their signature or a finisher. 
But like Barrett Brown had to roll, he had to do the eighty five flare roll up with the fucking dice <laughs> to win, you know? Yeah. He, he beat him like his name was Barry Windham. <laughs> uh, so and not and not the fucking DKC. <laughs> like what what does DKC mean? You know? It's like Dylan Kyle something. It's like his, his initials for his actual name. When I first started wrestling, I would go to the Santino Brothers like um page on youtube just to like study yeah and he's like the guy that they beat up in all the like tutorials <laughs> <laughs> it's true yeah i'm trying to pull it up also i thought that this was one of the better dks uh, not to say dkc hasn't been very good but like every week he's coming along man yeah so uh dylan dylan kyle cox is what dkc gotcha uh, we have a question last week um, asking, like, how do you feel about him, you know, keeping, like, the, the gimmick name and having the long hair and not having, like, a traditional young lion route? Nothing in the L.A. Hojo has been traditional. It's not the same, obviously. Yeah. And I feel like since it's his initials, it's not that much of a gimmick name, so. Nah, fuck all that. The moment that Shibata started letting those dudes show up with, uh, navy blue trunks you knew right away like this shit was different you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) okay and that was over a year ago that was uh yeah connor's (laughs) it's like almost two years ago so i mean as soon as like these dudes are showing up in like navy blue like they were lutez or bruno san martino like oh shit like this is not the same (laughs) don't talk to me about a dkc or or a you know a a fucking karate chop okay (laughs) Clarkonis was wearing blue. Yeah, going going off script there. Going off the script, you know. Uh, so second match, we had a returning uh, PJ Black, first time on strong since December. Uh, he had an injury at the end of the year, making his comeback here. He answered Alex Coughlin's um, open challenge series that he's doing here. Uh, nine minutes thirty three seconds. PJ Black defeats Alex Coughlin. Yeah, this uh, really good. Really impressed with Alex Coughlin. I was super impressed with his match, the previous uh, match in the series with uh, Josh Alexander. This one with PJ Black was very good. I like PJ Black's new gear. And um, the only thing I was a little iffy on, PJ Black, they, they did a spot where they were doing risk control and trading strikes, and then it led right into PJ Black picking him up, scooping him up, and hanging him with his uh, whatever backdrop pendulum move that was i've never seen it yeah and it was like in theory it was cool but the actual delivery of it was a little clunky yeah and i didn't know that was his new finish i guess that he's been doing that ring of honor i guess and i had no idea that was the finish i don't know man that looked like some shit that matt like comes up with you know on like a thursday night and then he's like let me try this on you <laughs> and then you just gotta take it yeah like that's what it looked like he was like i i don't i didn't know he's been using it in ring of honor either but i that's what it looked like to me is he was like come over here alex i'm gonna try this on you. <laughs> yeah, i think t- i'm gonna go over with this shit <laughs> 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 Uh, then we had a very good main event here. The walking weapon returns. Josh Alexander. He defeats our good friend Rocky Romero. Eleven minutes, fifty-one seconds. Yeah, a very good main event. Um, it's amazing that an eleven-minute match between Josh Alexander and Rocky Romero ranks for me almost as high as 
you know, a nearly 30-minute IWGP Junior Heavyweight title main event with uh, Desperado and Ishimori. So that kind of tells you how much I liked this match. I thought it was really good. And Josh Alexander delivers once again, and Rocky Romero delivers once again. You know, last year I voted for that dude as the MVP of uh, NJP of USA, and, like, no one else did, but I feel like I was right. I feel like Rocky <laughs> was the MVP last year, and, like, it's probably going to get some strong votes from me again this year. Yeah, there's definitely an argument for him this year. He's had a lot of really good matches all on strong, and just the work he's been doing outside of the promotion as well. Uh, doing a lot of stuff here for, for the U.S. brand. And yeah, very good matchup here. Uh, Rocky tried, you know, working on the arm of the bigger man, set up that arm bar that he does, and several points he was going for. His uh, his running Chernoy, couldn't get that throughout the match, and then Alexander was o- overpowering him. Uh, Alexander had a, a beautiful uh, chaos theory German suplex. Shout out to Doug Williams. That, that was a cool spot in the match, and then... He was working for the ankle lock, and then um, eventually he ends up hitting the J-Driller and puts Rocky away. Yeah, I thought both guys had some great moments of selling. Um, you know, Rocky obviously um, selling the ankle lock. There's one moment where, like, he was barely in the ankle lock and it wasn't even fully applied, and then he's selling it like it's death afterwards. And Obviously, he's trying to go for the straight arm bar for the majority of the match. We've seen him beat you know, such luminaries as El Fantasma with that in the past. <laughs> and he's, you know, trying to get it on Josh Alexander, but Josh Alexander goes for the double underhook pile driver later in the match. He can't get it. So, uh, again, another match where two guys are working body parts similar to Desperado and um, Ishimori, which, again, I like that match a lot, but in 11 minutes, these guys told in my opinion, um, a far more effective, hard-hitting, and compelling matchup in front of an empty studio, yeah. you know? Yeah, in front of just, uh, just, just Kevin Kelly and, um, what's his name? Uh, well, shitty I'm, commentator. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name right now. <laughs> Alex Kozlov. Yeah, Kozlov, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I should, You know what? I should take that back. That was me. He's actually been doing better. Yeah, he, he's fine. And I wouldn't go that far. He's all right. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, but, the, you know, Josh Alexander eventually did hit the double under heart, under uh, underhook uh, pal driver, which is an incredible move, by the way, and picks up the win against Rocky. Um, I don't know if they're still going with that, like, redemption story for Rocky, but, you know, this was good. Yeah, and, you know, Josh Alexander seems like he's, Plan to be on strong more, so that's just another great addition to the roster, bro. Isn't it funny how all these dudes think like they're all getting like uh loaned to New Japan? You know, your Brody Kings, your Josh Alexander's guys from ROH and Impact, and the and you know, MLW guys like uh, you know, fucking filthy. And it's like obviously, we don't know the full status of their contracts, so I'm not gonna assume that I know anything, but it's funny that when they get to like New Japan strong, they're like. I'm here to fucking stay. This is the top place to be. And it's like, dude, you're on loan from MLW. You know, Court Bauer is allowing you to be here. Fuck Court Bauer. That place sucks. <laughs> yeah, like Josh Alexander, like you're the exhibition champion right now. He's like, yeah, he's the exhibition champion. He's like, it took me years to get here. It's like, New Japan, this is where I want to be. This is the best wrestling promotion in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny, dude. They like, 
they don't actively bury their their companies, but they passively bury their companies by being like, "This is the real place to be. <laughs> this is that real." <laughs> Well, uh, this week we have the start of the Tag Team Turbulence Tour. Um, the tournament starting this Friday. We have all four first-round matches on Friday. So we'll do some predictions here. So uh, opening up, we got Clark Connors and TJP taking on the Good Brothers, Doc Gals and Carl Anderson. Uh, there was a, a Twitter video going out kind of teasing the dissension between Clark Connors and TJP, and we've been seeing that all throughout Strong. The more they team, the more miscommunication we see between both of those guys. Yeah, I I kind of mentioned previous uh, weeks that I have no idea what's really going to end up happening here, so I'm just going to shoot from the hips. Um, good Brothers winning this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go for uh, Good Brothers from the first matchup, and then uh, second we have Kevin Knight and the DKC against the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs, I think it's pretty. Yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the two dudes that dress in the same attire, Jarrell Nelson and Royce or Royce Isaacs. I mean, technically, Kevin Knight and the DKC dress in the same attire. Nah, it's different. Uh, one of them is allowed to have wrist tape; the other one's not. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, West Coast Wrecking Crew is gonna win that. Then the semi-main event, we'll have Fred Yehai and Wheeler Utah taking on the team of Ren Narita and Yuji Nagata. Oh, this is an interesting one. I'm going with the uh, New Japan team of Ren Narita and Yuji Nagata on this one. Yeah, I think I'm also going to go Narita uh, Nagata. I think they gave uh, Yehai and Utah a lot of wins to make them look credible, but I I think Narita and and Yuji are going to get the win here. Fourth match and probably main event, I'm assuming. Violence Unlimited team of Birdie King and Chris Dickinson will be taking on the Team Filthy team of Danny Limelight and JR Kratos. Yeah, that should be a pretty good matchup here. I think I'm going to go with Violence Unlimited, uh, the the new uh, Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. And I think it makes a lot of sense story-wise, and then you can, you can get... Dickinson and Narita in a match again when you have you'll have Narita and Yuji against Brody and Dickinson. That's the exact situation I booked out. So you know it looks like you and I are in a agreement here on all all fronts. So um, we are anticipating a Good Brothers versus West Coast Wrecking Crew semi main event, as well as a Narita Yuji Nagata versus Violence Unlimited semi main event. Yeah, so should should be a good episode of Strong, should be a good tournament. And then last thing here to talk about on Strong, we have the date for the next Strong Openweight Championship match. Filthy Tom Waller will defend against the leader of the Bread Club, Satoshi Kojima, on Friday, July 23rd, which I believe is going to be the finals of the Tag Team Turbulence Tour. Um, So big show there. You'll have the tournament finals and then... Filthy Tom defending against Kojima. Yeah, nice. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. It's the summer of Cozy, baby. Yeah, you know, the other week, um, I know last week you touched on the fact that he beat uh, Hiroki Goto recently. Thinking of the fact that he had a big title match on the on the rise should have been kind of the giveaway that he might might have been the one to win 
in that, you know, three match series. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the news here. A couple of news items here. So first thing, John Moxley is going to be defending the IWGP US title against Carl Anderson uh, this week on AEW Dynamite. Uh, an interesting thing here, this was revealed in interviews um, that the, the 2020 Wrestle Kingdom, the original plan was supposed to be John Moxley versus Carl Anderson. Um, and, and it was said that Anderson was going to beat Moxley for the U.S. title. And uh, Anderson Gals had agreed to return to Japan after the WWE contracts were expiring. And they were supposed to jump the Young Bucks on the first episode of Dynamite, but then WWE upped their offer to a five-year deal at 750 per year, and they took that deal, which scrapped the whole Dynamite plan and scrapped the Moxley-Anderson match at Wrestle Kingdom. We got Moxley and Archer instead. Uh, so what do you think about uh, this matchup here, Anderson and Mox for the U.S. title? Uh, I mean, it's fine. I don't I don't really care, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting matchup. I'm not expecting a title change here. I mean, if I was AEW and I was trying to book a match with someone that is tied to AEW but also has ties to New Japan – and as a credible singles guy, I'd probably pick Carl Anderson as well. So from that aspect, that makes sense. As opposed to picking someone that's been built up on, you know, New Japan television, but is foreign to the fan base of AEW. You know, keep in mind, it's going to be airing on Dynamite. So they're still trying to... You know, it, it is still an AEW match with a little bit of a New Japan flavor. And then, you know, I've, I've heard some New Japan fans that were really excited about this. I'm not really one of them just because, like, you know, Carl Anderson's, like, top singles runs were in 2012, 2013, before that. So, you know, that was a long time ago. Right, so yes. Not, yeah, it's been a long time since that G1. It's like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I'm not that stoked about it. I I think it will be good, but I'm not anticipating it to be great or anything. If it is, awesome. Um, I really hope Carl Anderson does not win, okay? I've heard some people say they want him to win. I, I don't see why you would want that. I would much rather have the biggest star in the West named John Moxley to carry the belt versus one half of the good brothers, you know? Right. And especially with resurgence coming up and Moxley advertised for that. I really think you should do a Moxley us defense on that show. Well, you want to know what my fear and suspicion is when it comes to this, right? Yeah. The, this, this is building to Mox and shooter against the good brothers. I've got a feeling that Shota Umino could, I don't know if the logistics work out. I know he was just working in rep pro, but what if hypothetically through this feud, whether it's on this episode or episode in the future, Shota Umino becomes involved in a good, you know, because again, it is Carl Anderson and he is in a prominent tag team that's also being featured in New Japan. What if they're trying, and we already know that New Japan was planning to reunite the Death Riders and have Shota Umino team with John Moxley on Strong in the Past. What if the big match that they have planned for him uh, coming up on the L.A. show is Good Brothers versus 
you know, the Death Riders. And that's a match that, like, isn't the biggest money match in the world. I can see Tony Khan being okay with it. You know what I'm saying? Right. For, for like the talent exchange. I got a feeling that that's what's on, on the docket based on looking at the trajectory of this match. That's my opinion. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that probably makes the most sense. I mean, Moxley has been feuding with the good brothers and Kenny and the bucks, you know, the, the AEW bullet club for, you know, most of this year now. So, it kind of coincides with AEW storyline as well. You know, Good Brothers coming back to New Japan, so it could happen again. Not not the most exciting thing you could do. I I still think they should try and do a U.S. title defense, but you know, like you said, like Tony Khan's probably like, yeah, you guys can have Moxley, but <clears throat> yeah, but but uh, you know, put him in a tag team match. Yeah, save those uh, U.S. title matches for Dynamite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, we had a question from Dom Hoy 101. I think we got most of everything. Thoughts on the upcoming IWGP US heavyweight title match between Moxley and Carl Anderson on Dynamite. How likely or unlikely is it that we see Carl Anderson walk at us Dynamite as a champ? Who do you guys think will be the next challenger for the IWGP US championship? I have no idea who the next challenger is. I mean, if if they're booking it the way, if they're booking the US title the way that they used to book the like intercontinental title with Nakamura. We'll see uh, Doc Gallows challenge afterwards. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what do you think the likelihood Carl Anderson could beat him is? Like, is that I think, something you can see happening? No, I think it's very low. At the end of the day, it's Carl Anderson, who, to my knowledge, is not an AEW contract director wrestler. He's still a, an impact contract wrestler showing up on AEW, uh, going against the... You know, top babyface in AEW, former AEW world champion. I highly doubt Tony Khan is going to beat John Moxley with Carl Anderson. Um, yeah, who fucking knows? I like. I would be. I'd be very surprised if they flip the belts. As far as next challenger, like we were saying, I, I, I don't know. I got a feeling that that Kenta Tanahashi match could be a you know a match that leads to a challenger for for Moxley. Very possible. The next thing here, we have dates for this year's G1 Climax Tournament. The tournament will be starting September 18th in Osaka, with the finals taking place on October 21st at Budokan Hall. Uh, the Wrestling Observer reports that everyone in the tournament has been told already, and some of those foreign names will be staying in Japan for as long as four months, so they don't have to quarantine uh, each time in between dates. Um, the only other major news of the schedule is that historically the shows have ended with three straight dates, usually in uh, Sumo Hall in Tokyo or sometimes the Budokan Hall. This year, the final three dates start on October 18th at the Yokohama Budokan, the same building formerly known as the Debunka Gym, uh, and was traditionally the last show of the tournament before the big three nights. So the Paris Yokohama is going to get the A Block Finals, while Budokan Hall is listed for the B-Block Finals and then the overall finals on October 21st. And I will watch when it happens. Oh, yeah. G1 should should be another fire tournament this year. Uh, next thing here, we have an update on Resurgence ticket sales. Um, as of the last report from WrestleTix, uh, right now there are 431 available tickets with a capacity of 2,252 meaning 1,822 tickets have been distributed. So the show is about 81% sold. 
Um, so last week, boy, I talked about the you know the initial ticket sales, you know, about seventy percent on the, on the first day uh, being sold. So we got an additional eleven percent this week. What are your thoughts on the resurgence ticket sales? Uh, I think it's um it's not bad considering you know that it's a limited capacity you know um, arrangement in uh, what what what's this called? It's called the uh, the uh, the torch. Yeah, the torch at the LA Coliseum. So, you know, they kind of have a selective seating there. Um, we've seen them be a little bit more optimistic or like ambitious than this with like, say, the Walter Pyramid in the past and kind of underdraw. So, uh, I mean, the, the numbers look good. I'm sure from a um, business standpoint, they must be happy that they've had, you know, some. Uh, you know, uh, interest in the early days here. I mean, this is a far cry from where the t- ticket sales kind of stood back in, say, 2017 when they first started doing U.S. shows. But, you know, we're in a different market at this point with a lot oh, a lot more competition, a lot more, you know, saturation in the marketplace. So I think all things considered, it's pretty good. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get near sellout come you know show time right and uh, also last week we had the announcement of jay white defending the never title against david finley on this show thoughts on that matchup um you know i thought you did a great job recapping it last week i don't want to belabor it too much but um you know those those two guys have a lot of history so that should be very good that's another thing to kind of keep into consideration it's like there's only 400 plus tickets left and we barely have a card so as more and more enticing matches kind of become um, known, that's another indicator that these tickets probably will will not be around for much longer. They did talk in the past about if uh, there's a, a you know a need, they could hypothetically expand the seating arrangement. So, you know, I don't think it will ever turn into something where people absolutely can't get tickets. But I think a lot of that will depend on what the card looks like. Um, I'm wondering if that's the one big match and then everything else that's on the show, even though the talent looks great, is sort of limited, or if they kind of try to push the envelope and give us some more, you know, bangers along the way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that car looks like, and probably they might use Strong to build some of that, so maybe that's why some of that's not announced yet. But Oh, that's a good, that, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like, I have a feel like probably at least a strong title match for sure should be uh, booked, uh, will probably be built off of this weekly TV. Well, I think Punk versus Filthy is going to be really good when we go to the torch at LA Coliseum. <laughs> Punk versus <laughs> Oh, man. That would be crazy. CM Punk showing up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're going to get a, a three way. It's going to be Hero Punk when Hero met Punk. Met filthy. <laughs> uh, so uh, next thing here in the news, uh, Token Shop Global, they're doing another meet and greet. This time it's with Kenta, and that's happening on July 27th. Then uh, this past weekend, there was the uh, Ring of Honor Best in the World pay-per-view featuring some New Japan slash New Japan adjacent guys. So uh, in the main event, we had the uh, former Best of Super Junior competitor Bandito defeating Roosh to become the new ROH world champion. 
We had uh, former IWGP Junior Champ Dragon Lee defeating Tony Deppin to regain the ROH TV title. We had uh, Team Filthies and uh, former Fil- Team Filthy and Violence Unlimited. Chris Dickinson teaming up with Homicide. They defeated Rhett Titus and Jonathan Gresham, who was replacing Lethal. They uh, won the tag team titles. And then Brody King defeated Jay Lethal. Absolutely destroyed this man. Uh, so overall, uh, the, the best in the world preview was a pretty good show for Ring of Honor. All these matches here that I, I listed were in the, in the four-star range and some really good stuff. I did not get a chance to watch the – well, okay, let me scratch that. I had a chance to watch the show, and I chose to watch a movie instead. Um, but with that being said, I, I heard some good reports, so I'm pretty excited about a lot of uh, – you know, Bandito – he now holds the ROH as well as PWG uh, world titles simultaneously. I, I, in my estimation, over the last you know twenty years, those are probably the two most prestigious U.S. independent you know championships. And at this point, Ring of Honor might not as well might as well not even be a national cha- uh, company anymore. They might as well be back to indie status. So. <laughs> In my opinion, Bandito is the unified independent world champion. Yeah. Yeah, Bandito. Killing it here. Yeah, really good uh, main event there with Roosh. It's going to be interesting when he comes back to best of the Super Juniors and does a job to, like, Taguchi, though. (laughs) This means, like, Taguchi gets a towel shot at uh, Honor Rising. Maybe. (laughs) Um. And then last two things here, I think we talked about last week, but just want to get your quick thoughts. Uh, did you get to check out Cho's uh, Glate Match? I have not gotten a chance to check it out. I, I heard your recap of, of it last week. I thought it was very good. Um, it will be something that I see here in the near future, but, you know, these past couple of weeks have been pretty crazy with work and the hurricane and everything, yeah. And then last thing here, uh, we had some updates on Chota Umino. He's going to be facing uh, Dan Maloney on the 18th in Rev Pro. And then August 21st, he's getting a Southside Heavyweight Championship match against Ricky Knight Jr. Uh, any thoughts on the reemergence of Umino and kind of these two big matches here? Uh, you know, I like Ricky, uh, Ricky Knight Jr. a lot. Uh, cousin of Paige Soraya, um, you know, from WWE. Uh, what was her name? Brittany Knight? Uh, Soraya Knight, I think. Soraya Knight, Brittany Knight. No, her mom's Soraya Knight. She's uh, Brittany Knight. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Ricky Knight Jr. had a really fantastic feud and match with uh, Will Ospreay at the be- uh, end of last year, beginning of this year. Uh, if you haven't seen that match, I highly recommend it. Uh, but um, you know, Shoto Amino it's very clear that they're putting him in a prominent position. Um, a few of the guys that have been put in prominent positions on their excursions in the recent past, you know, um, Hiromu Takahashi, when he was like contending for um, world titles in CMLL and, you know, most recently great Okan given some opportunities to win some um, regional titles over in Europe. And then also the tag team titles in rep pro. So, um, you're kind of seeing something similar here with uh, Shotsu Mino. They're they're giving him a spotlight. They're giving up giving him a push, an opportunity, and they're putting him in there with two of the best guys in the in the uh, company, Dan Maloney and Ricky Knight Jr. And you know that's what it's all about: is getting reps, 
getting, you know, experience in front of the crowd, learning how to work uh, that style. And it, it seems like they're trying to get him ready to work a main event style. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what they did with, you know, um, Kiji Muto when he was in, you know, championship wrestling from Florida and, you know, Jim Crockett promotions in the late 80s. Mm. Yeah, uh, should be some good stuff. There should be two good matches there with Freaking Night Junior, Dan Maloney. And yeah, I'm really excited to see things to come for Amino. Also, he's going to be featured on Resurgence and Strong. So I feel like he's probably going to be bouncing back and forth between the U.S. and the U.K. for his excursion. Great. Well, it looks like we got some questions to go through. There was a bunch of question, fight questions last week. Did you bump those this week or not? Uh, I think I put them in there uh, at the bottom. Okay, yeah, we didn't talk before the show, so I was like, are we saying we're going to answer those questions, or fuck you guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have them on there. Um, but yeah, we'll run through these. So first from Rambone Slam Pig, he says, what is your way too early mid-year prediction for the Wrestle Kingdom night one main event? He's guessing Okada wins the G1 and faces Shingo taking the belt off of him. I don't know, man. I usually have some kind of like a solid prediction by this point. Um, I'm still, I think kind of picking Naito as my likely winner and maybe Naito Shingo, but I, I don't really also Jay White's on the, on the docket too. Right. He's, he's never won a G1, so I don't know. Yeah. I feel like uh, Naito Shingo for right now is a way too early. I think probably makes the most sense. It's probably a really big matchup that would draw for night one or whatever night they do it on. Uh, next question here from Viking Payne. With the elevations of the never title, six-man titles, and heavyweight tag titles, was it the right call to retire the IC title after all? No. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just feel like having that secondary... I know the never title's quote unquote the secondary title right now, but I don't know. Just feel like the IC title really helped with that transition and having other programs for people. Uh I mean I would have been I almost feel like in a certain sense it would have been better to just be like, we don't have an IC title anymore, but we have the international title. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it almost would have made sense for them to establish a new secondary title, something that nobody's won, as opposed to the belt that a lot of people have won, but when they won it, it meant a lot less. And now they have nowhere to go. Your Gotos, your Ishii's, guys like that. You know, uh, your Minoru Suzuki's. It means, a, it, it, in a certain sense, sure, if they won it, would it mean more because of its stature in the company? Sure. But it also kind of means less because they've already held it. And it was the number three, number four belt in the company when they won it. So it, it just puts people in a weird spot. I don't... Again, I'll never understand why they got rid of the white belt. If you have to elevate other belts to get to the status of the belt that you got rid of, then you shouldn't have gotten rid of that belt. Yeah. It, it just doesn't actually make sense from a logical standpoint. Think about it for a second. Why do we have to elevate other belts to get to the same status? And to be clear, none of these belts are to the same status that that, that belt was because it was headlining Tokyo Domes. Right, yeah, I don't think we're going to see any, you know, narrow titles, six-man titles, or tag titles, you know, made in a dome anytime soon. Yeah, it was a bad idea. Uh, honestly, it, it just was. 
His next question is, sadly, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff has passed away. Any great memories from his career? I know he spent some time in New Japan as well. Yeah, um, I don't have any specific memories of Paul Orndorff in New Japan, to be honest with you. Um, but from his career, I mean, as a fan watching live, I didn't necessarily, um, I don't know, like, Paul Orndorff wasn't, like, a mainstream guy by the time that I was, like, a, a child, you know? Right, yeah, same but, here. But um, as as someone growing up and having a family that had been watching since the early 80s and kind of getting exposed to some of that stuff on tape and everything, I mean, the one thing that sticks out more than anything else is the two feuds he had with Hulk Hogan. And, I mean, the big thing with Paul Orndorff and it's always going to be a testament to him and the uh, star drawing ability that he had with Hulk Hogan. They literally had the absolute most financially successful string of house show matches ever in the history of professional wrestling. Nobody, no other string of house shows ever drew as much money for any company ever at any time in the history of the world as when Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff were on top running against each other, um, which is a true testament. Um, some memories I do have, I remember, I believe, I always get this messed up. There's a, a really crazy match with him, and I think it's him and either Van Hammer or him and Cactus Jack from one of the Clash of the Champions that's like a false count anywhere match that is hard-hitting as shit. It's like one of the last really great Paul Orndorff matches, but, you know, for me, the main thing I remember is the Hulk Hogan feud, you know, the Saturday Night's Main Event cage match, which is gold and super underrated. I mean, incredibly underrated. And him coming out to Real American because he's the real, real American. <laughs> like, I love that shit. Paul Orndorff was great, man. Yeah, I don't really have that many memories from him. Like, he, like you know, growing up, he wasn't really a guy that kind of stuck out to me. Um, he's probably kind of being phased out by the time I was, you know, watching. And I know he's not been a guy that I've gone back and watched stuff on, but I've been seeing a lot of people post a lot of his great matches and promos. So I'm definitely going to go back and watch some of his stuff. Um, next question. Has Inboy ever been thrown into an exposed turnbuckle before? Is it really exposed steel? Um, <laughs> how do you protect yourself from something like that? And does it hurt? Also, is the edge of the ring really the hardest part of the ring? So uh, I guess to answer a couple things, um, I have never been thrown into exposed steel. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the turnbuckle is concerned. Um there have been some phases where we've had some pretty suspect turnbuckle pads and, you know, sometimes they don't always do the best job staying in place and sometimes the buckle will become exposed, but I've never hit one. Um, I don't, I don't know how to answer this to be honest with you. Like, I don't want to like expose the business. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it. Okay. So here's my thinking. Um, I've never taken one, so I think there's definitely a way to where if you took it in a, in a particular 
traditional way you could probably hurt yourself because it's exposed metal and maybe that is just what people do is they just hit it as hard as they can and just you know throw caution to the wind but i feel like and maybe i'm wrong on this because again i've never done it keep it you know keep in mind i feel like if you hit the ropes in the perfect spot like where where your back especially if you're a broad back person you won't go far back enough to actually hit the metal. You'll just hit the two ropes and mm, you'll be fine. Yeah. But but I think you have to be super precise with that. You know, and it depends on how you place your feet and where your, your arms, your arm placement on the ropes is when you do it. But then again, I also think like there's a small margin for error. If you're running hard and you take it hard, you're probably going to hit the metal. I can imagine that fucking sucking. So I don't know. Well, maybe maybe one day uh, Matt will uh, throw you into the turnbuckles. <laughs> I'll ask them. I don't know. We'll see next time I go to class. Um, as far as the um, ring apron being the hardest part of the ring, it absolutely is. And I mean, it's very logical why. When you hit a ring, whether it's springs or boards, the motion of the impact needs to have space to dissipate and travel out. You know, that's the whole logic of wrestling. But if you hit the edge of the ring where the boards are, there's just, there's the motion just, it doesn't fucking go anywhere. It's the same. It's almost the same thing as hitting the ground, bro. When they take bumps in the ground, you're hitting the actual earth. <laughs> you're hitting the earth. That motion doesn't fucking go anywhere. It, uh, bro, that's the craziest thing. Like I, I might want to be a pro wrestler, but I don't want to be the kind of pro wrestler that wrestles in the ring. Okay, I don't want to take no bumps outside. Fuck that shit. You're, like, you're trying to live that Zack Saber life. Not even that. He goes outside and like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live that Akira Maeda life. You know. <laughs> uh, next question. His last question. He says, "How did uh, Conor McGregor break his leg?" Poor. He said it was from a check, and Conor said it wasn't from a check. And is Conor done as a UFC fighter, or will this lead to a McGregor Poirier four? I don't know, man. Um, I, I noticed at the end of the round something went wrong with his leg, and I I suspected maybe he dislocated it or rolled his ankle. I didn't realize it fucking snapped his tibula. Um, <laughs> but I knew something was wrong. Uh, how it happened, I, I couldn't tell you, man. I don't know. Was it from a check? Maybe. There's some reports coming out now that he actually had, uh, you know, a known ankle injury in camp and didn't disclose it prior to the fight, which is plausible because that's what happens in a lot of fights, especially when there's a lot of money on, you know, involved. So that's plausible too. It's also possible that he just stepped weird and his fucking ankle broke. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't think either of them know. As far as what, whether they'll fight again, they're both talking like they want to fight again, and I think they both want to get paid again. Right? So. Yeah, I saw the payouts for that for that show. They both got obviously Connor got paid really well, and uh, Poirier did pretty well for himself there. Um, I did see like a slow motion video going around of when uh, Poirier checked the kick, and I mean, obviously you can't really know for sure, but like it does look. You like don't it, know. It does look. Like it could have happened there, but who knows. Um, as far as there being a four fight, I mean, that's what it sounds like. I mean, Dana White is saying that, you know, Poirier is getting a title shot against Usman next. And no, that, no. Not Usman? Uh, okay. Uh, not, um, 
What's his name? Oliveira. Uh, yeah, Oliveira. That's what I mean. Yeah, he's getting a shot against Oliveira. And then the winner of that would probably face McGregor. So also in a perfect world, Poirier would win the title. McGregor would come back and you'd have a fourth match for the title. Nah, bro. In a perfect world, it would be based on the best fighting the best and be a sport. Instead, you know, you're getting guys that are personalities. You know, I loved. Did you see the press conference? Uh, I saw like highlights from it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Did you see the dude with the pink suit? Yeah. <laughs> he came out and he's like, Connor, you have had, you have won exactly one fight since Barack Obama was president. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like, dude, how can a guy that has won one fight in like, you know, what, four, five, six years? Yeah. Be in line for the next title shot. Provided Poirier wins the title, and dude, I don't even know if Poirier is going to beat Oliveira, but that's another story. So I don't know. That's not a perfect world to me, but I I, I don't care. You know, I I like Connor. Well, okay, I'm not a big Connor fan, but um, I appreciate his talent and what he's accomplished and given to the sport. But uh, I mean, he's not done. He's the biggest star in the history of the sport, and I think he's starting to gain a little bit of a Mike Tyson freak show fight appeal, but uh, I don't really care about him, you know? Yeah. Plus, he's probably a rapist. Yikes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving on to questions from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says, what do you think about Malachi Black expressing his desire to wrestle for NJPW? Are you more or less excited about seeing his new AEW look? I only want to see him in New Japan if he decides to bring over sorcery, black magic lore, you know, <laughs> I want to see esoteric occultism in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So um, I'm you, hoping he brings some Aleister Crawley shit into Cork and all, you know. Do you want to see him murder people like he did in his promo video? Only if it's sacrificial, you know, to the <laughs> Dark Lords. Um, you know, I'd be fine with Malachi Black coming to New Japan as long as it's kind of the deal that's happening in AEW where like, you know, Tony Khan is kind of, you know, being the the guy to kind of rein him in. And so if, you know, if we could have somebody to rein him rein him in in New Japan and just let him wrestle and not worry about trying to do lore and, you know, kill his opponents then I'd be down. Nah, I'm on the opposite spectrum. He, if he doesn't bring that shit, don't come. Don't bother coming here. <laughs> oh man. Uh, his other question, what are your thoughts on the trilogy fight between Poirier and McGregor? Also, what do you think about McGregor's post-fight antics? How creepy do you think he's being by threatening to murder Dustin and Julie Poirier in their sleep and also posting a picture of their daughter on Twitter? I don't know, man. I, I Maybe it's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy, I guess. But it's like, I don't know. Connor's done some pretty bad shit in the past with his opponents and bad-mouthing their wives, bad-mouthing their religions, bad-mouthing their children and their dirty laundry and everything like that. It's, it's nothing new for him. Um, I, the main thing is he didn't seem to be able to shake Poye or get under his skin really the way that he'd done to so many people in the past. I mean, you look back at some of his other fights and like Aldo and Alvarez and these guys were like shook and I don't know. Just didn't seem like it worked against Poirier. Um, I don't know. McGregor is a, still a good, entertaining like trash talker, but I, I don't know, man. He doesn't seem to have like the same like punch and effect 
from a verbal standpoint that he did like a couple years ago. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of feel like he's kind of like grasping for straws here, but right. Yeah, this. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, definitely like posting like yeah the picture of the daughter and just yeah, it's just kind of over the top. And I think he's just trying to you know keep himself in the news and keep, bro, he's a worker. Yeah, keep buzz around his name. As far as the fight goes, I actually picked McGregor to win. My thinking, honestly, was just like it, under the bright lights in the big environment someone who has proven time and time again to, to be capable of overcoming the odds and rising, you know, to the circumstances that's Conor McGregor. Um, and that left hand of his say what you will about him. It's the most proven and effective, you know, weapon in MMA since like Dan Henderson's right hand. So, um, I kind of thought, I knew it was a 50-50 fight going in, and I kind of thought that he might have a really good chance, especially considering how well he did in the second fight before the calf kicks landed. And he came out and he did okay, but he was—he didn't seem to be as sharp or as good as he was in the second fight. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, um, I thought, like, the first, like, he got some good leg kicks at, at the beginning, like, the first, like, beginning part of the, the round. I was like, all right, maybe, you know, got a game plan looking good here, but then... After that, I just feel like it just was all like all Dustin after that. Yeah, and the biggest mistake was when he pulled guard and he went and he committed to the the guillotine. To the, the guillotine, and I don't know, man. Like you know, it, it looked to me like he was, you know, uh, he got hit a couple times and he was panic grappling, and we saw him do something similar like that uh, in the first Nate Diaz fight when he lost. So I don't know. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he was getting smashed. So, I mean, could he have come back in the second or third round? Yeah, he could have. Um, we've seen him catch a second breath before in previous fights, most uh, notably the second Nate Diaz fight. So it's not unimaginable that if, you know, with a guy like him that's got, you know, fast twitch uh, reflexes, it's not impossible that he could have recouped. But, um I don't know. It doesn't point. It looked like he was kind of murking him. So yeah, he was, he was on him. <laughs> uh, next question from Grunty Dog. This was a question from last week. Uh, I was curious to see if you had any info on it. He said another podcast mentioned Sabu winning the junior heavyweight title in '95, and then cutting a promo rejecting the title because he doesn't consider himself a junior. This was apparently a shoot, but they didn't elaborate. Have you heard of this? And what's the real story? Uh, I've never really heard that story. To be honest with you, uh, I know that's weird. But um, what was the deal? He won it and then vacated it. Yeah, I guess he, I guess he won it and then yeah, it's like he dropped it because he didn't, he didn't consider himself a junior. Like I, yeah, I haven't heard it in it and I didn't get a chance to look it, look it up from last week. So I was wondering if you, if you had any info on it. No, nah, um, I heard, uh, I heard this question on the show last week and I wish I would have uh, done some research. But yeah, to be honest with you, I've never heard of that. I don't know the story. I did know he was like a junior heavyweight champion briefly, but um, I don't know anything beyond that. Mm. Uh, so the next question from Don Holy One One was also from last week. He says, "Can the young boy explain why Rey Mysterio and Psychosis weren't a part of the '95 Super J Cup?" Um. Uh, well, before I go into that, to go back, Sabu defeated Koji Kinemoto at the Fuku- Fukuoka Dome on May 3rd. That's obviously Dantaku. 
1995 to win the title. And then he lost it to Koji Kanemoto on June 14th um, in about where Kanemoto's UWA World Welterweight Championship title was on the line as well. So, um, I don't know. He held it for a little over a month, right? Yeah. Pretty much. So, I don't know the rest of that story. Yeah, Uh, maybe it was one of those deals in in the backstage comments he said something like that, but was actually still a champion. As far as the Rey Mysterio psychosis thing goes, um, that one I don't have a, a specific answer to. I feel like I've heard talk of this in the past, but um, I'm just kind of kind of going to speculate what I remember or what my memory calls. I think the deal was that this was like a special, um, you know, sort of traveling match. Psychosis and Ray, they were kind of doing their shtick all over the world. Yeah. Sort of similar to what Dragon Lee and... Um, Hiromu Takahashi were doing a couple years ago as well because it was such a legendary feud. And so they weren't like booked for the tournament, but they wanted to get them on the show because it was such like a renowned match that they sort of added them as like a special singles match and it sort of fit the theme of the event. But I don't think they were ever intended to be part of J-Cup 95. I think that that was already kind of settled. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. Uh, next question, also from last week, with recent news about Terry Punk, Terry Funk. What are your favorite matches of Terry Funk in Japan? Oh man, that is a that's a great question. Um, with Terry Funk in Japan, I mean, for me, it really comes down to, I guess, two different phases. I mean, there's Terry Funk in All Japan, and the matches that he had with. You know, obviously some of his single stuff, but especially his um, tag team matches with him and his brother. Um, And then there's from like 93 on Terry Funk and in his deathmatch persona in FMW and IWA, you know, most notably. Um, Some of the matches that I really love that come to mind would be like... Onita versus Terry Funk from FMW on May 5th, 1993. That's the No Rope Exploded Barbed Wire Time Bomb Death Match. Um, that's, in my opinion, probably one of, if not the best, uh, Time Bomb Death Match that's up there. Um, I also think of his NWA title defense in 1976 in All Japan against Jumbo. Uh, best two out of three falls. I think Jumbo is one of the best like uh, Japanese title challengers around that time period. Um, and that match is incredible. Um, aside from, oh, him and him and Stan Hansen in 83, when Hansen had jumped from All Japan, or I'm sorry, from New Japan to All Japan, um, they have a really, really great uh, singles match. And then all the like, finals from the all japan um tag tournaments from around that period so him and dory against abdullah and the sheik in 79 um those two against baba and jumbo in 1980 that's like a 46 minute classic um 
yeah, the Funk Brothers against Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy in 83, I think that's the uh, the first Terry Funk retirement match, which is very memorable. Um, but there's also the 81 final, which I think is Bruiser Brody and Jimmy Snuka against Dory Funk and Terry Funk, and that's the match where Stan Hansen comes out with them. And nobody knew that he had left New Japan, and it was like a big fucking deal. And then he throws the Larry on the outside, laying out, I believe, Terry Funk. I could be wrong. Maybe it's story. I don't remember. I've seen the match like two or three times. And people like fucking lost their shit. And they, there's a blade job. And like that was the match that like started the whole Hanson and, uh, and Brody against Funk Brothers feud, which was like mm. a big, big deal um, in the early days. Um, Bruiser Brody and Terry Funk is really good as well from 82. There's a lot of good stuff. A lot of, a lot of Western fans don't know how good the Funk brothers were. Like I, I love the Funk brothers. And then obviously, uh, last thing I'll say for about Japan is like, uh, Oh, Dory Funk against Terry Funk is very good as well. Um, there's so much out there, man. <laughs> um, but you know the the feud with Terry Funk and Mick Foley, uh, they had two very memorable IWA matches that were death matches. Well, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, also yeah, Foley, yeah, him and him had him and Foley had some great stuff. And... Yeah, I was just at the show last week, and I was like, I know you've seen some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I wasn't thinking like that was in Japan, but yeah, definitely, yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> People don't, yeah, I don't think a lot of fans realize how big of a star Terry Funk was in Japan. Uh, like, he was the biggest star. Before Terry Funk, generally speaking, most foreigners were viewed in Japan as being, you know, Gaijin, the outsider, the invader. They were never seen as we've adopted them as one of our own. And like most. To give you an example, the most recent maybe example of something akin to this is like the latter the latter years of like Kenny Omega in New Japan. It's like yes, he is an outsider. But he speaks our language. He like it, you know, embraces our culture. He's one of ours. That's how Terry and Dory Funk, but more specifically Terry Funk, was viewed in Japan. He wasn't a monster. He wasn't you know a kaiju like you know Gordy and Hanson. It was like Terry Funk was one of theirs. Mm. He traveled. He traveled with when they traveled. He traveled with the Japanese guys, and like it's hard to explain how fucking over he was when he would come out in those all Japan crowds. It was just daddy, daddy, daddy. Like you know, thousands and thousands of people just fucking screaming. And even before his music came on, like they because they were like so hyped that the funks were coming out like he was the man mm. yeah, yeah like terry funk in my opinion terry funk is a top five all-time great yeah i definitely had to go back and, and watch some of the, some of his japan stuff yeah it, it, it's really 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 good stuff and it still holds up too um and it's him at the tail end of his prime as well so yeah it's it the all Japan, the late, you know, the mid to late seventies to early eighties stuff is that all Japan stuff's really, and that's also an unheralded era. You know, everyone talks about all Japan in the nineties, and, and for good reason. But like, 
I I don't know. I came up on that early '80s all Japan stuff. So like, I love I love the funk stuff. Like, I just do. Uh, next question: Thoughts on Conor McGregor's comments on wanting to kill just just Dustin Poirier and the lack and the lack of backlash McGregor has gotten. I typed this question out because I feel like it's silly that McGregor got a pass while Deontay Wilder got major backlash for his comments on wanting on wanting a body on his resume, just calling out the double standards. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Nobody gives a fuck about either of them. That's <laughs> that's the truth. I I could see where you're coming from because I think if you're in a certain sort of bubble of fandom, you know, if you're like, let's be clear, boxing circles are small. And so if you see backlash against Wilder saying that, you know, um, and I definitely saw that online to some degree, it's still like so small. It's not like national media news was like, former world champion <laughs> Deontay Wilder said he wanted to murder his next, like no one gives a fuck. It's boxing. And no one, get, you know, it's not like because Wilder's black and Connor's white, you know, they did one thing and then did the other. The reality is nobody, both, both sports are somewhat niche and nobody gave a fuck about either of those comments because people don't take them seriously. I think both of those comments were disgusting. And I don't think that either fighter should be saying that because the reality is you can kill someone in fighting. Right. It has happened many times. So I'm always like disgusted when I, when I hear someone be like, yo, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, catch a body, whatever the fuck, you know, no, nah, I don't like that shit from either guy. But, uh, I don't think there was a double standard. Um, I think people that are like big, big fans didn't like it. And, I think the majority of humans in the world just didn't hear it and don't care and don't know. He also asked thoughts on the whole Tyson Fury situation with COVID-19. Has COVID-19 become the new way of ducking fights? Uh, yeah, I've heard some talk of that maybe that was the case. Um, I don't know if, I don't know. I've heard some things possible like you know not being in shape or not taking camp seriously who knows i i don't know the answer to that uh i'm assuming <laughs> i just i don't know i assumed that they got covid and it's legit like they really got covid maybe i'm wrong on that but uh you know i feel like if you're using covid to duck fights and that's probably not a good sign if that were in fact the case yeah, hopefully, I would hope that yeah, it's actual with how like, serious COVID is that it would be a situation where he actually didn't have it. So. Um, and the last question here: thoughts on the upcoming undisputed junior middleweight title fight between Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño? Um, you know, to be honest, that's not a division I've paid a lot of attention to in the past couple of years, especially since guys like. Uh, you know, Mayweather and um, Canelo and the other Charlo brother have all kind of left that division and some other pretty prominent fighters. So, I mean, I, I know Jermel Charlo for sure, um, but I don't even know Brian Castano. I don't have thoughts on it. I mean, at all. Nope, and I don't have any thoughts on it either. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could uh, offer you a better take on that. I mean, I'm at the point right now where like, you know, years ago, I used to literally watch everything every weekend all the time. I would I would keep up with all of it. But like I'm at the point where it's like unless it's like, 
you know, pretty mainstream with boxing. Uh, and you know, MMA too. I, I just, you know, between with this show and everything else going on in my life, like I, I can't see it all, you know, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the questions for this week. So real quick, we have a recommended match of the week. Last week I recommended Omega vs. Ichii from the G1 special in USA to crown the uh, first ever IWGP US champ. Did you get to uh, rewatch this match? I did, but I gotta ask you before we 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 move on. You know, you have some pretty harsh <laughs> words for Inoki and Luthez, and I I feel Jeremy, and I'm not gonna sway your opinion. Your opinion's your opinion, but the one thing I will rebuttal is like some pretty harsh words for a 16 minute match. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't long, but I was just sitting there like it's, they're just like in holes the whole time. It's like. Oh, no, man. That match is fantastic. Like, I don't, you're crazy. I don't know what you were I don't watching. know. Maybe I need to rewatch it, but... It, no, you don't need to rewatch it. Man. It's <laughs> too good for you. I don't know. It's, it's like, you know, you're supposed to be the shooter here. You're supposed to be appreciating the technical acumen. There was too much technical acumen. No, that match is good. I don't know what you're talking about. How was your day going? Were you, were you like, I'm trying to think if I watch, I might have watched like a New Japan, like a regular New Japan show before that. That might not have, not have helped. Man, you can't be doing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as the match that you gave me, um, obviously, very famous match um, Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii from July 2nd, New Japan G1 uh, Special in USA, day two. This was the finals of the um, single elimination tournament for the to crown the first ever IWGP United States heavyweight champion. And um, this was the second time I've seen this match. When I saw this match initially, I thought the match was outstanding. But I was also, you know, a lot of people kind of forget that these guys sort of had a, uh, I think they had a three to four match series that year if i recall i'm pretty sure it was four because i think they fought in the g1 that year plus um they had the two match series at the beginning of the year one in the new japan cup and then the other one uh when okada or i'm sorry when omega returned from his sabbatical after wrestle kingdom yeah so, so and i'm I, and i believe this was um the third maybe fourth match this is the third match in the series and at the time watching it, I was like, that was really good, but it doesn't hold up to, you know, the first two matches in the series. I was like, this is the lowest one. Going back and rewatching it in hindsight, I actually have a flipped view. I think that this is probably the second best match in the history of Ishii and Omega, um, followed only behind the, the famous, what was it, 2019 match that they had in the, in the G1. G1, yeah, where Ishii beats Kenny. Yes, um, and this match still holds up. It is just awesome. Um, it takes a lot of the stuff about from their Dontaku match that was really excellent uh, from that same year, and then it you know it adds the bonus of like the raucous crowd, that fresh environment that they had, the added stakes that were involved, um, you know, and then being in the main event of a major major U.S. tour show like this. In a special spot it, it was just awesome plus like 
all the all the stuff with um, the table spot with the dragon suplex and Ishii trying to stop it from happening, you know, by biting the ropes. Like that's always going to be a memorable spot, even if you don't remember anything else about the match. You'll always remember like that moment. Um, I think this match more than holds up. I've always said that that um, string of like three to four matches for Kenny Omega, because he wrestled at such a high level. He wrestled uh, Elgin, Jay Lethal, and Ishii. Were those the only three guys? Or was yeah. there another guy? I think that was it, yeah. Um, I felt like that was on the same level as and reminiscent to like what Brett did in King of the Ring 93, you know? Um, it was just a really, really special, you know, um, lineup. And, you know, having Ishii be the final guy, that the guy that had already beat him earlier in the year, um, just kind of raised the stakes. I thought that this match was incredible. I, I'm at the point where, like, I go five on it. And honestly, I think it's better than a lot of what we're seeing in New Japan nowadays. Even as lauded as some of these matches are, I think it holds up and exceeds a lot of the top rated matches in New Japan today. Mm. Yeah. Awesome matchup. And yeah, that, that turnbuckle bite spot, the crowd like popped and lost their mind for that. So yeah, awesome, awesome matchup. Um, glad I rewatched it. And yeah, we haven't really talked about it because we started the show after a little bit after that tournament happened. So Yeah. Those, those are some cool shows that happened there for the Fiji one special. Okay, awesome. So um, my recommendation, since you uh, kind of gave us a throwback 2017, I decided to uh, return the favor in kind. I'm not going to give you a 1970 match. <laughs> We're going back to 2017 as well, Pinnacle. And we will go to Cork and Hall on July 22nd, 2017. So just 20 days after the match that you, you gave me, and in the main event, it will be Kazushiko Okada versus Michael Elgin. Day four of the G1 Climax 2017 B Block. Uh, this match got four and three quarters from Dave Meltzer. And is, in my opinion, probably Michael Elgin's best match in New Japan ever. Yeah, I don't even know if I saw this match because, again, that was... I, I got a feeling you probably weren't watching it. Yeah, because... That... Watching the G1 like that back then. Right, because that was, yeah, again, that was before we started the show, and, like, I was just starting to, like, watch more New Japan. So, yeah, I don't think I, yeah, I don't recall this match, so. Yeah, that's why I kind of uh, recommended it. So, uh, if you guys haven't seen that match, it is a, it's incredible. You know, it's a top five G1 match from an incredible G1 year, so uh, highly recommend it. We'll see, you know, what comes about next week. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap things up here for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review the Summer Struggle show happening in Corkin this weekend, along with the uh, tag team turbulence happening in Strong. And we'll do our official uh, preview and predictions for the rest of the Summer Struggle tour. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can check out our Discord server. The link for that's in the show notes. 
can also email me, jeremy at suplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have Funny Shit Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. We have the 8-Bit Suplex with Josh number two. We have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Yvonne. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.